you are extremely loyal to the profession. You, you invest time in the, in the profession, but you just don't go with the flow out of convenience for yourself to make it easy for yourself. So if something's wrong, you say something, you know, you say something, you speak up, you're pushing for change. You're pushing for against the status quo, almost, almost against the establishment. If you, if you will, is that, you know, uh, you're, you're not bought into, well, we have to do it this way because we've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a tough road. It's that you're, you're loyal, you love your organization and all that, but you're willing to speak out and point out the flaws of your organization, the flaws of your crew, the flaws of yourself in a way that your, your mission is to improve the organization overall. But a lot of times, you know, you, there's a lot of leaders that don't want to, they want to hear what, what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. The first responder liaison network is proud to present to you the kitchen table podcast where our guests come share their stories, their perspectives, and their message talking all things leadership. Now here's your host, Berlin Mazza. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Kitchen Table, episode 28. Our show today is brought to you by the First Responder Liaison Network. The network is organized for the development, implementation, and ongoing support of mentorship and professional development programs, inspiring our youth and young adults to mature and to engage civic leaders and resilient community sentinels. Music and graphics are brought to you by Kai Elephant Productions. Today on the show, we have David Rhodes, the Editor-in-Chief for Fire and Rescue Media. He is helping to shape the national conversation on topics important to the fire service. From innovation to training to safety and more, he leads the editorial direction of Fire Engineering, Fire Apparatus, Firefighter Nation, and the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Chief Rhodes is known for his keen eye for talent, amplifying new voices while maintaining partnerships with long-established subject matter experts from the fire service and industry. Chief Rhodes also serves as educational director for FDIC International. His 37-year career includes 17 years spent as battalion chief with Atlanta Georgia Fire Department. He's a chief elder for the Georgia Smoke Diver Program, served as an incident commander for the Georgia Emergency Management Agency, Type 3 All-Hazards Incident Management Team and was a task force leader for the Georgia Search and Rescue Team. Chief Rhodes also served on the FDIC Educational Advisory Board, was a hands-on training coordinator for the FDIC Conference, an editorial advisor and author for Fire Engineering and Fire Apparatus and Emergency Equipment, a columnist for Fire Rescue, an adjunct instructor at the Georgia Fire Academy, and an advisory board member emeritus for Underwriters Laboratories of Firefighter Safety Research Institute. I'm honored to welcome Chief David Rhodes on the kitchen table today. Good morning, Chief. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. Good to see you. You too. Thank you uh, again for uh, being a guest on the show. And uh, before we get going, I would like to thank Chief Rick Lasky, who was actually, who leadership challenged you and is what made this connection. So again, thank you for taking up his leadership challenge. And we look forward to this amazing leadership conversation today. 
But before we get going, I would like to ask, share a little bit about Chief Rhodes before we get going. Maybe a little bit about, you know, career, how you got started, family, hobbies, and anything you'd like to share before we just dive right into this conversation. Yeah, um, like a lot of folks coming out of high school, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Wasn't the greatest student in the world and uh, didn't really didn't really have a passion for for going to school anymore. Wanted to jump right into the workforce and try something. I was working at a land surveying company uh, for the summers during high school and kind of had gotten the idea about something in public safety, whether it be police, fire, EMS. I was just kind of looking that that route. My grandfather uh, had been a police chief and Hmm. and a sheriff's deputy for for his whole adult life. And, uh, ironically, uh, some folks stumbled in, uh, the local fire chief there in my, in my hometown Conyers came in the survey office to get some work done. And we struck up a conversation about the same time that I saw a couple of guys, uh, doing hydrant maintenance on the side of the road. And they were the coolest guys I'd ever seen with their, uh, fire rescue Mm. shirts and they were doing hydrants and they had their sunglasses on and all cool. And, you know, they were probably they were probably 19, 20 years old right. at the time. And I was like, man, that looks pretty cool. I like yeah. that rig. And uh, <laughs> I so I just do. started talking to him about it. And he invited me up for a um, little tour of the station and, and talked to me. And uh, um, ironically, as, as much as I've immersed into the fire service, I was kind of like interested in, in, in EMS and, and being a paramedic at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the lure was they were going to pay for my EMT school. Ah. And, uh, if I would sign up to volunteer and it was a combo department, um, that was fully staffed, but had some volunteers that were left over, um, from the days when it was all volunteer that they kept on. So there was the opportunity there. And that was kind of their way in the door is, uh, they would get you to volunteer, kind of check you out, see if you yep. fit in. And then they would hire you if a position came open. So, uh, so I did that and, uh, started EMT school and, uh, the very first weekend, um, one of the lieutenants invited me to a live, uh, structure burn an acquired structure. Hmm. And once I went to that, um, <laughs> you were hooked. I was done, I was done with EMS. So my, my EMS ambitions <laughs> lasted about a week. Oh, wow. Um, and once I got that first taste of, uh, fire. the live fire and, uh, it was just, it was f- phenomenal. And, uh, and so that's the direction I went. Obviously I finished EMT school. Yeah. Um, they hired me about a month, two months later, I became full time and, uh, did almost seven years. Um, there's a little small one station department with, uh, about 20 guys. We went through a consolidation with the County in, uh, in 1990. So I started in 85 and uh, went through that consolidation in 90, which was sort of a culture shock. A lot of great guys at that department, which was a county department. But we went from that environment of five or six guys on duty every day in the station to being out in the middle of nowhere with me and one other person. And, uh, you know, obviously we were we were busy by our standards back then in this, mm-hmm. in the city, we were running five or six calls a day, which is nothing, you know, now, but yep. like some of their stations were running, um, six calls in 
three, four months. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so I Different. just wasn't, it didn't fit well, um, yeah. with what I wanted to do. And, um, and so I moved on to, uh, to Atlanta, had a, had a couple of friends that had gone there yeah. that had worked for our department and they were, they were putting the bait out for me. So I decided to go on and, and make that move in, uh, in 92 and yeah. did 30 years there. Yeah. So. Wow. That's, uh, and so 30, uh, we'll say so 92. So we are 30, 29, 30 years later now editor in chief. Tell us about that. Um, about, you know, cause from, from one week, uh, EMS school to acquired structure burn, uh, you know, moving to a big department in Atlanta to 30 years later, now editor in chief. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, it sort of happened basically like, uh, like everything happened to Forrest Gump, uh, in a way it was not a, it was not a, a, a plan or a structure. I shouldn't be there, but it just sort of happened. Um, yeah. I, uh, I had a very strong mentor, um, from the smoke diver program, Scott Millsap, who was, uh, he got heavily involved in, in training, had his own training company. He was the training officer for Dalton, Georgia fire department. And he actually retired early to keep this training company uh, going, which did industrial and fire service training. And he got um, extremely involved in FDIC. Mm-hmm. And and we had a we had, had actually had three classes at one time that our training group taught. And uh, so I started teaching. I was supposed to teach the first year that that Penwell owned FDIC in Indy, which I think was 97. And, uh, I got sick and I couldn't go and it was, it was devastating that I couldn't go, but, uh, um, I was too sick to go, uh, that week. And so I, I stayed home and missed it, but I went the next year and I was a hands-on instructor for, I guess, four or five years. Um, and, then there was some changes in leadership and uh scott Millsap got put as part of a team to to manage the hot programs and he asked me if i would help manage the logistics which i didn't really know that much about but i, I was up for anything um always liked challenge and, mm-hmm. and so i took that on and, and another friend of mine brent hollander became like the safety guy he was another one of our instructors and we worked with a team uh, that was John O'Connell, uh, Mike Nast. Uh, um, actually, Rick Lasky was supposed to be one of those guys, and he ended up not being able to do it. Um, Rick Fritz was the other one. That was our initial group, and we like helped pick the classes. We helped manage all the process for the instructors to get to FDIC, mm-hmm. and. Um, so we did that and we were in, we we're very close with, uh, the former editor, uh, Bill Manning. And that was before Bobby Halton's time. And so just sort of, you know, work behind the scenes at the conference yeah. and, and doing a lot of stuff for the hands-on training. And then in, I believe it was, um, probably about the same, about around that same time. Um, we had that big incident in Atlanta where the Matt Mosley made the rescue hanging from the helicopter. He rescued the guy off the crane and that sort of thrust us into the spotlight. And I was union president at the time. Wow. So Manning actually asked me to write uh, an article about 
um, the fire, which ended up, you know, being like a 10 alarm fire, multi-agency burnt, um, dozens of structures. It was the largest historical renovation of any building, uh, in the country at the time. It was an old, uh, industrial mill that was being converted into loft apartments. So it was heavy timber and brick. The wind was blowing like 60 miles an hour and the crane operator gets trapped up there. So, uh, I wrote up the sort of an incident report on that. And then I wrote up, uh, I wrote about the fire and I wrote about the rescue itself. And that was my first published, uh, uh, uh article. So that was probably around that same time, 97, 98. Um, and, uh, things just sort of snowballed yeah. from there. I started writing pretty regularly. Yeah. I'd have a couple articles a year and then Manning left and, uh, um, Bobby Halt came in and then, uh, the conference was growing yeah. just tremendously. So I continued doing the logistics and, uh, gosh, I guess I did that for 20 plus 20 wow. plus years. Is that right? And then continued to write. I ended up with a monthly column in fire rescue, which was also owned by the group that was called the hump day SOS. And that was sort of my first real intro into a monthly column, which, uh, you know, people have written one or two articles, yeah. maybe, you know, an article or two a year. That's one thing. But like when you're having to come up with material monthly, it's, it's easy for the first year, but then the second yeah. year, third year, uh, you know, it's like, what else do I talk about? Yeah. So, uh, that was a pretty big hit that, that, uh, that kind of got me traveling and speaking a lot because, uh, folks kind of really related to those columns. Yes, I'd yes. done already been doing some training and, uh, um, it just sort of snowballed. And then once I retired, Bobby Halton wanted me to come on full time as, uh, basically his right hand and, and to learn the business and to, uh, eventually take over his position as he yeah. was yeah. getting ready to slow down a little bit. And, yeah. uh, that was in August of, of, uh, 22, 22. Okay. And then, you know, unfortunately just a few months later, yeah. um, he passed away in December of 22 mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, it was sort of tag tag you're it yeah the plan, was, the plan was for me to take it over in three years yep yeah <laughs> and uh and i ended up having to uh step up and a few months later four or five months so yeah well uh i think that's a a good segue to something we've always talked about on this podcast is maybe stepping up early maybe earlier than your so-called plan that you had in place right mm -hmm. uh, i know a lot of our listeners are kind of those emerging leaders in the fire service and we've talked about like, you know what? Oh, I, I, I just want to wait until I have more experience or I want to wait until I have X amount of years before I do this. But in many cases, it's not about sticking to the plan necessarily. It's good to have a plan, but also having, what do you do in case the plan changes or it's expedited or someone asks you to step up, right? A mentor or a leader says, you yeah. know what? We might need you to step up. So if you don't mind, talk a little bit about that, about, first of all, I, I want to go in so many different directions. First of all, I want to talk about your writing and how you got into that because firefighters typically aren't necessarily writers, but we'll talk about that second. Kind of just mention a little bit about being being ready in place. We talk about sports, about always being prepared, always being ready to take mm -hmm. that next step. It may or may not be your time right now, but you don't know when that time is. Do you mind talking just a little bit from a leadership standpoint, the importance of having a plan, being ready for that ne next step, even if it's not necessarily when you had planned to. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately a lot of departments don't really have a good 
plan for you to follow. And even if they do have, uh, you know, a, a career development ladder, it still doesn't expose you to all the things that you necessarily need to be successful. It's sort of like the minimum standard, I guess. Yeah. And so, um, one of the things that I think that helped me was I was involved in so much outside of my department, even Hmm. in, in Conyers, they were, it, it was a 20 person department and 15 of them were state instructors and traveled and taught state classes. They were always at the fire Academy. And so I got pulled into that very early I see. and it was like, okay, you're expected to become an instructor and teach these classes. So like my first year, I'm not necessarily the, the I'm not the lead instructor or anything, but I'm there helping yeah. set the houses up to burn. And I'm, I'm learning fire behavior, um, through, you know, doing structural fire control burns once or twice a month all over the place. And I'm, and I'm building a network of folks and resources that are from all over the state that are, that have different expertise. And when you get outside your organization, you see that, okay, not everybody operates exactly the same. And you start picking up little tips. It's like, Hey, these guys keep their electrical cords in a five gallon bucket with a hole cut in it. And like, man, it's so much easier than winding it up on your arm and it just just little things. Yeah. And if you stay inside your organization the whole uh, time, you get really sort of stymied stuff. in your, in your thinking. And, yeah. and, and it really happens a lot in larger organizations because you have so many resources that you don't feel you need to get out. You're the big dog on the block or the, the big fish in the pond. But as soon as you step out, you learn that there's a lot of things that the little departments do that, that you can benefit from. And then there's a lot of things that other urban departments are doing that you can benefit from. So I think that's a, an important lesson is to not limit yourself to your, your own organization, your own processes. Mm, Um, I truly believe that being an instructor, um, is, is important. And you don't have to be a circuit guy and be traveling around and, and doing social media posts every day, but like just being part of a, a state instructor cadre that's not just your your own department, it just exposes you to a lot. And and I think I learned the most um from from those those classes and all that we did, you yes. know, as part of an instructor team. And then you need the you need the the call volume to put it in place yeah. when you get back. And that was sort of what happened when, when I went from the small department to Atlanta is that w- with six, seven years on, when I went to Atlanta, I had more training and mm-hmm. time instructing than probably just about anybody in the organization as a, as a seven year guy with yeah. guys that had been in Atlanta for 20, 30 years, but they had the, they had the experience and the call volume. And so it was an interesting journey applying the training to yes. the actual calls. And you realize, okay, well, this doesn't actually work in the, in the, in the yes. real work, <laughs> world here. Yeah. So, but I get why we train to this because yeah. we're trying to pass the standardization test, yes. But, yes. but here's what we actually do. So that helped me develop, develop training. Like with smoke divers, it was more realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
for yes. guys that wanted to move out. So, so yeah, getting outside your comfort zone, getting outside your own organization, I think is a, it's, is a big part. And, and that, you know, everything, everything sort of, uh, just like an incident or an accident that has a chain of events. If you look back, um, me going to smoke divers or me going to Conyers and having leaders that were instructors and they were involved in the smoke diver program that led me to become an instructor and go to the smoke diver program, which led me to meet people from all mm -hmm. over the place. And, yep. and each one of those opened a different door. Absolutely. Um, so it, and it, again, there was no plan that like, Hey, I'm going to go to this so I can meet these people and maybe make this hookup. Mm -hmm. It just all happened organically over, yeah. you know, the course of 37 years. And, yeah. And then yeah. I wound up, uh, you know, I, I wound up running the smoke diver program in a similar s situation. Scott Millsap left to run his business. And then, uh, just a, a few years later passed away from, from cancer at mm. 45 years old. Uh. And so Perfect. I got thrust into the smoke diver leadership role. There you go. Almost the same way I got thrust into the fire engineering leadership role. Uh, right. You know, right. another friend passing away from, from cancer and a mentor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, luckily, you know, they gave me the tools. Yeah. Like you said earlier, I don't know that you ever feel that you're ready because I think if you're a hundred percent sure you're ready, then maybe you're not the right person yeah. for the job. You're a little, a uh, little too confident and yeah. abilities. There you go. So I think you should be a little apprehensive because yes, you know, none of us really know everything. Yeah. And, uh, Agreed. for my high school English teachers to know that I'm, uh, the editor in chief of a magazine is, uh, it would, it would make them turn their head and be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and, and, and the same thing with writing, you know, knowing that you're published and stuff, uh, yeah. they could barely get me to open a book. I hate right. reading. I didn't mind writing so much. Like I like the creative writing parts, but yeah. of course I did not like anything to do with grammar or sure. Who does <laughs> right. Other yes. than English teachers. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that, that's awesome. I mean, get outside the box, go out and be an instructor get outside and learn ways that other departments, organizations are doing it outside your own. And I love the piece on you. you you're never hundred percent ready, nor should you be. Uh, so that hesitation is, is normal and it's okay in, in an upcoming leader, right? If you feel like, you know what, maybe it's not my time or maybe I'm not ready. So what you're saying is and that's an okay spot to be in. It means you're doing it. You're doing, you're doing okay. Yeah. And you can, you can move up too soon, but you know, everybody's situation is different. And, uh, sometimes even if it is too soon, you need to be the one to move up because maybe there's nobody else, or maybe sure. you're the best person at that time. The key is you knowing where you are. So like if, if, if you're in a department and a lot of turnover, and then all of a sudden you're a two, three year guys and they're like, they're like, Hey, uh, it's, we got it. We need a captain for the yeah. shift and you're like, Oh God, you know, uh, well maybe you do it. And as long as you know, like you got a lot more to learn yeah, and you take that approach and you're honest with the people you're supervising and you're yeah. like, Hey, look, I was the next man up and, uh, I, you guys got to help me like <laughs> have some humility in, in the process. Right. Right. I mean, but no if one you likes come to know in and, you, and you're like, okay, I'm the captain now. So do as I say, or whatever, right. it's not going to work out, not you know, out. too yeah. well for yeah. you. So you can, you can grow into the role. Yes. Um, 
Um, I always say that it takes about four years of being in a position before you really kind of have the ins and outs of it. And Mm -hmm. that's even with being prepared or training. Sure. Once you have about four years, then you kind of have sort of seen all the different aspects and you've dealt with enough problems or issues uh, to know what to overcome. And then you can kind of like start really building systems to, to build other people up. And so being a battalion chief for 17 years uh, was like, it was a totally different perspective in that role than a guy who made battalion chief for two years and then got promoted to assistant chief. And it's, it's, so there's something said for, um, for being in a position for a while. That's great. If it works out that way. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is like departments shouldn't be down on people that, um, that just want to be firefighters and drivers. Mm. Um, yes. we need those yes. senior people because again uh, a 17 18 year driver has a totally different perspective of the position and that's where the real expertise comes along that can pass on to the guys that are only going to be in the position for a couple of years and and stuff and so i know a few departments have really criticized guys and you you have to have people and you want to challenge people to move up Mm -hmm. um but there are people that don't want to supervise sure people and, and they're and, comfortable in their role. And I, I think that's the beauty of, of the department. That's the art part of leadership is embracing that mm-hmm. and, and making a big deal out of, out of those folks as yeah. long as they're oh, know, I, good in their position. I love how you say that. Uh, make a big deal. That's that's, I, I love that. Make a big deal of, of those individuals that want to be in those positions because we need people in those positions. Right. I mean, leaders, what's the saying is leaders need to continue to build strong leaders, but a leader can be someone that is a 17 year engineer, right? Can Absolutely. be a 20 year firefighter. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean building a, a company officer. Doesn't mean building a chief per se. It's building up the people from wherever they're at. Challenging, yeah. like you said, is a part of it. Challenging them, getting them to maybe step out into an uncomfortable role, but it does not have to be a promoted role per se. Right. And exactly. when I was a captain, uh, I was a captain on the engine company and I had one of the most senior drivers in the department, um, with me. And I mean, it was so awesome. Um, guy's name was Wayne, Wayne Taylor. And, uh, he was just, he knew everything there was to know about Mm -hmm. apparatus. He taught the apparatus school at the academy. And so for the young guys that we had, the, the rookies we got at the station, what an absolute opportunity and treat it was for them yes. to work. And, and basically he ran the station. Yeah. He was, he was that, you know, informal leader, yes. the, 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 the chief of the boat, so, yeah. so to absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the guys absolutely loved him. And I mean, they worked from, they almost worked, you know, 24 hours a day doing station projects and, yep. and, and whatever. And, and, I absolutely loved having him and, and then getting out there with them and doing things. But, you know, you could say, you know, Wayne, um, I got to do these training record inputs and stuff today. Can you take them across the street and yeah. like go over, you know, pumping the deck gun or yeah. whatever. And so all of those guys ended up, you know, 
being drivers and some ended up yeah. being officers. So yeah. yeah, a good mix. That's uh wow. Building trust. So one of the main topics of the day is is building trust. And I think that kind of goes without saying, right? I mean, we need to build trust, you know, in our organization, in our leaders, in our teams, in our crews, individuals, all the above. So it kind of goes without saying, but tell us the meaning to you and what that the significance of that. Well, if you don't it, it, leadership is so much about relationships and if you don't establish good relationships with your crews, coworkers, and you know, the folks above you, then it's hard to get anything done. And so, um, for new battalion chiefs, I would always tell them if, if they ask or was in the opportunity to share with them, I'd be like, look, you know, the first thing you got to do is like, you got to invest and win over your captains. Like that's your, you know, you can't run the fire stations like, you know, you mm -hmm. did as a company officer, you have to be like hands off on the day-to-day -day running of the fire station, but you have to build that relationship with them so that they know what to expect from you and what you expect from them. So you set those expectations, um, you stick to them. I used to kind of do it um little informally you know i would have meetings obviously and go over some expectations and i would kind of make fun of the fact that i'd be like okay i'm just going to tell you up front here's like my biggest pet peeve and it may not be something that's 100 percent in the policy or whatever but like i don't like this yeah and i'm just telling you up front like it, yeah. it wigs me out i yeah. don't and and it was fair because they knew yeah and and what i didn't want to be yeah was you know i had officers and sometimes chiefs that like you didn't know who they were from day to day yeah unpredictable so today, today they're the uniform nazi yep. tomorrow they're the um safety line on a fire nazi the next yeah. day they're you know the apparatus clean nazi yep. it, it's so you just didn't know who you were getting that day gonna get yeah. yeah and uh you never could satisfy what it was and so um, I really respected the the process and the, the, the station environment. Like, um, I wasn't one that would surprise you with a visit to the station. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I'd always call and let you know I was coming or kind of maintain a schedule. Um, and that was good for both of us. You know, mm -hmm. that was good for the company officers and, and for me, cause you know, there's just certain things that happen at the station that they're not necessarily bad or against policy or whatever, but, it's just courtesy. Yes. You know? It's kind of like, you know, and on the very low end of things, you know, like, so, <laughs> you know, you got a policy that says you, uh, you know, you can't watch TV, but you know, from eight to four or whatever it is, unless it's lunchtime and I'm just making something up yeah. hypothetical. Well, you came up in the fire station. Like if you got a company that's running 25, 30 calls a day, who cares? Mm-hmm. Like mm -hmm. if they're watching t TV or who cares if they're asleep when they can, yeah. yeah. you know, as long as the work's getting done and you know, maybe right. they're in their workout clothes and they got their yeah. house shoes on or whatever. So, you, you know, it's like, so especially trust. if you're with like, you know, maybe you're with the shift commander or whatever, you're like, Hey man, just giving you a heads up. We'll be there in 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And yeah. uh, I know from, you know, when we used to have to sit watch, that was one of the, when you set watch, you're up at the front of the station in the watch room <laughs> and you had a microphone like this on a PA. And uh -huh. when the chief's car pulled up, the first thing you did was ring the station 
and you said chiefs in the house chiefs yep. in the house yep. and yep. it was kind of like hey you know square your stuff up yeah, and like yeah. be ready for the chief to come in and yeah, and, and yeah. i think that's good you know yeah. that's good because you want the station antics and stuff to be happening that's camaraderie as long yeah. as it's not illegal and immoral and right of course and all that but you don't need to know everything that's key. Yeah. That's, and yeah. you're not going to be able to either. No, right? no, no. Yeah. And you want to have that, that relationship there. So I think yeah. that's a mistake that a lot of new officers will make as they go right into the competency part mm-hmm. and they want to make sure everybody's skills are a hundred percent before they actually establish a relationship. Uh, and, love that. uh um, obviously you can do them both at the same time. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. But a lot of people, don't see the importance in the relationship part. It's just, Hey, I'm in charge and I want, you know, I, I want everybody to operate like this. Yeah. And, and you really, you got to have that connection first or yeah. what ends up happening. If you don't have the connection is yeah. they will show you what you want to see. And yeah. so it's all fake. Right. So if you, if you say, you know, I don't want anybody to be doing this. I want you to have this particular uniform on, which is definitely way out of my, uh, uh, interest, <laughs> but, um, I've read your t-shirt management uh, article. Yeah. They're, oh, they're <laughs> only, they're only going to comply when you're around. Yeah. There you go. And and those little things aren't important, but what you want them complying with is your, your, workflow on the fire ground, your workflow on an EMS call, and you want them doing the things you want them protecting themselves with by wearing their gear and yeah. by pulling the right size line and doing the yeah. right kind of uh, size up. That's the things that you want them That's, yeah, exactly. to, to be doing. And, uh, and if you establish that trust and set your expectations and, and you look at people who aren't meeting your expectations as training issues, versus defiance on yes. the front end always give them the opportunity to train up to 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 what you want versus yeah. the discipline and yeah uh, that's a good point that was my thing I, I i tried to operate more as a coach um than you know a dis- disciplinarian in the yeah. fact that i'm going to write you up for everything yeah. i think yeah. uh everybody everybody makes two or three mistakes a day as they should. Right. And, and, and if you're just writing people up for, for that versus having the conversation about yeah. what it is and why it's wrong or yeah, whatever the people aren't learning, they're just, they actually get more defiant. They do. Well, I mean, building trust is, I, I love that piece, how you talked about that was first versus uh competency, which we'll talk about next is obviously competency is, is we need that too, obviously. Yep. Uh, but building trust is key. How many times, you know, it, it, we, a new crew, new shift, new station, whatever. And the first thing at 820 is let's go out and drill. And it's like, oh, sure, let, let's do it. But building trust, relationships, have a cup of coffee, sit down and chat for an hour, talk about mm-hmm. expectations. Let's Extremely get to know each important. other. Talk mm-hmm. about, you know, doing stuff like that first, leading to drilling and competency. So let's let's just jump right into that. So um, obviously building trust and competency can be hand in hand, right? You build trust. And then it leads to a crew or a company or a ship that has competence, or you, you are competent in that way. It, it leads into trusting each other on the fire ground and other. So you uh, talked about character, the importance of character and uh, having competency. So talk about that a little bit, if you will. So 
if you don't know what you're doing, people may like, they may like you and you might be, you know, a likable person, but they're never going to trust you on a call. Mm. Um, they're not going to trust your decisions and stuff. So you have to be competent to the, to the point where you understand the job. So in, in any role from the fire chief on down, and that's a discussion people get into like, well, the fire chief doesn't really need to know how to fight fire or do this. They're just a manager of the budget and all. And I've always totally disagreed with that because the fire chief has to make critical decisions mm-hmm. on the organization. And if, and if you don't have that, that knowledge of the station, the way the station operates, the way the culture is in the organization, then you can't make good decisions. You yeah. need to have done all those positions. And again, it's one of those, sometimes it doesn't work out perfect. You may have somebody that goes to an admin position for 20 years and then gets made fire chief. And, and on the other hand, you could have somebody that was totally in the field for that same amount of time becoming fire chief and not understand anything in the, in the, middle. In the admin side. So, yeah. So there's a balance, there's a balance there, but, but you need to have, um, you need to have that experience within the, within the department so that you can make good decisions. And, you know, a good decision on a budget is different than a good decision on fire ground policy. Absolutely. And, uh, um, and if you don't have that, you have to realize it and you have to build a team of people and make sure that, you know, your operations guy is somebody who has that for you. Yeah. Um, Some competence. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then back, you know, all the way down to the, the company officer level at the company officer level, you should be competent in all the skills that your crew has to, has to perform, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's everything from building construction, forcible entry, how to stretch a hose line up a stairwell, how to advance a line through down a hallway, um, how to search, how to, uh, how to ventilate. You, you gotta have competency and all that because you're, you're the chief number one instructor for your yes, crew. Yes, that's exactly and, what I was going to uh, say. Yep. And if you don't have all of that mastered, um, or, or working on getting that mastered or have somebody on your crew that you can tap into that has it mastered, then it's hard to build, uh, it's hard to build trust, but yes. the competency alone doesn't do it either. Uh, there was a, there was a, um, quote by one of the old, old time captains that, uh, um, I worked with for a while and they were talking about this guy that was a train wreck around the station. Like he couldn't do anything, never did his housework, never did anything, but was a phenomenal firefighter. Like you wanted this guy on the scene. And so the whole captain would say, uh, He'd say, yeah, he's a good firefighter, but we only fight fire 1% of the time. So the other 99%, (laughs) he's just an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I mean, we laugh. Uh, There's uh, some truth to it sometimes, right? And so, yeah. I I, I mean, I think that goes to what you're saying. Uh, You know, earlier you mentioned about being an instructor, and uh, you said it, and I think you said it a little more clear. I've, I've always heard, you know, various individuals say that a company officer is the lead training officer of your crew. And you said it yep. even a step further, the company officer is the chief 
training officer of the crew because yeah. that's true, right? They lay out the design of the day. They they should know a variety of the topics they're teaching. And one thing also a mentor told me one time is if you're going to teach a topic or be the subject matter expert of a topic, you must, or even if it's just a topic that you're interested in, you must learn it to the point where you can teach it. And then that, and at that point, you now know that you've mastered it. And even I use the word mastered as uh, lightly as well, because, yeah, you know, mastering something. We have, exactly. Yeah. But, but that goes to, if you, if you aren't an instructor of sorts, if you aren't a subject matter expert, but then now you are in a position to now be the chief officer of your crew and training, how effective can you be? So it goes to your confidence and trust build, uh, building trust. Yeah. And then the character piece on that, let's say that, uh, I mean, this is a good example of how it would show up. Let's say you're, let's say you're good at, you know, stretching lines and and um forcible entry but you're not really that great at ventilation mm -hmm. uh or you know saws or whatever it is as long as you know that and you reach out to somebody yes. who is to come in and train your crew like you team up with yes. the next station over or maybe one of your guys on the crew is yeah and, and you use like the seal team philosophy where you defer that day's yes uh, training to whoever the expert is in that and that's yes. sort of like you know if you're if you're on a mission and the mission is recon then like the communications the photographer the videographer they're kind of the the lead person you're you're still in charge yeah but they're taking the lead on what Absolutely. they need for the operation. And, uh, you know, that model, that model works good. Yes. And, and that's where the character comes in is that you're, you're secure enough and you have the integrity enough, integrity, not, not to, um, be a poser in whatever yes. area yeah. it is. And yeah. the fact yeah. is none of us are experts in everything. And that's so, exactly it. Yeah. So you have to be able to let down and, and defer, Yep. to whoever is the best at the time. And, uh, and the other part of character is just, you know, being a person of your word and having their, having your crews back and, uh, um, and, you know, if you're, if you're going to say that you're, you know, if you're going to demand that we do two hours of, of training every day, then you got to make sure that you're getting your, training in absolutely as well on you 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 may need to be doing four because you got to do their stuff and then you got to yes. be learning learning yep. other stuff in there so you got to set the example we always talk about leading from the front yep um not from the swivel chair and uh <laughs> you gotta you gotta spend time with your crew and you gotta yeah. tell them you're like especially a young guy's not going to realize like the administrative duties you have as an officer and so you know you need to pull them in and show them you're like hey here's why I'm not with you guys the first three hours of the day There you go. I'm doing this and, and I have to get this done and so-and-so. So I want you guys to carry on, you know, whatever you're doing for those first three hours. And then I'm going to join you. Yes. But don't forget that part of, uh, joining, joining there you go. like that uh, kind of a, a good uh, comparison is the, the, the transitional attack. It's like, uh, <laughs> heard you say you, this. If you never go inside, then it's not transition. It's not transition. Yes, <laughs> you never transitioned. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, if you if you're going to be a full full service captain, then you got or a lieutenant, then you got to yeah. take care of your admin stuff. You got to yeah. do your reports and your log books and yep. and payroll stuff, whatever it is you have to do. Yeah. But not at you can't 
sacrifice spending that time with the crew out there, whether it's polishing the rig just for a little while, or if it's doing your, you know, your training, whatever it is, going and looking at buildings. Yeah. And, and maximize on every opportunity. Like, you know, you're out going to the store to pick up dinner and like you're riding, ride some streets and talk about, you know, what you would do if you had a call here. Um, Mm -hmm. That type of stuff is just, you know, it's not anything that's in the book on how to train, but it's yeah. just invaluable in, exactly. in building. And then, you know, um, some of the things we would do is like uh, on the weekends, especially is, the, you know, the trip to the store might include like we might stop at some vacant structure and actually like go through that the mm-hmm. whole deal of catching the hydrant, pulling the first line and doing the 360 and yep. talking on the talk around channel, you yeah. know, then yep. pack it up. You're, you're in and out of there in 15, 20, 30 exactly. minutes. Yep. Then you go on to the store, but mm-hmm. um, what an experience. Not every drill needs to be an extensive, you know, 90 minute drill to be effective. Yep. Um, it could be those impromptu 10 minute team building, you know, on the fly, you can learn just as much, but that's where competence. And, uh, and I love the piece you mentioned, you know, that not every company officer will be able to be the subject matter expert in everything like they shouldn't be. And then being able to have some humility and delegate some work, because that also goes to well, two reasons. Number one, you might have someone on your crew and your shift that can teach it better than you, maybe. And right. and and I always I always had the, the philosophy of as a as a student of a topic um, students, especially when we're talking about recruits, apprentices, newer firefighters, or even new company officers, like they deserve to have the most well instructed class, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that we deserve that to, to be able to yep. learn. We sh- we deserve to be able as students to to get so it's okay to delegate um, instructor work to those that might have a little more subject matter expertise. But also, it helps develop those individuals, right? If an engineer is trying to build their hours or their time in being in a good instructor because they want to promote or maybe not promote, just be a more effective leader and instructor, giving them the opportunity to instruct further will only help in their development. So I think it's important that company officers don't need to know everything. Also, they won't know everything, but then it's okay to delegate some work for the development of others. And that's that's part of that building trust and team building. So. Yeah, Loyal. self-awareness is is huge in yeah. any leadership position is kind of knowing knowing what you're what you're capable of and yes. knowing when you need help and, yeah. and building the team. And you know, it's like for a battalion chief, um, usually there's five or six stations in your battalion. And I always draw the analogy that like most departments, um, the battalion chief probably doesn't have a say in who those officers are. So like, you know, you get promoted, you go and the officers are already there. Well, it's like playing poker, but you can't get rid of any cards. So you got to play the hand that that's you right there built. and you're going to have an ACE. You're going to have, you know, a 10, uh, a exactly. six and a two. And yeah, like what you got to do is figure out what their strengths, um, and weaknesses are. You try to shore up the weaknesses, but you got to have realistic, um, expectations and know that even if you happen to be the most into the job person and you're super competent and um, you, you care about everything, you have to know that not everybody is the same as you. Yeah. And you can't expect them to be, you want them to be, yes. you want the best officers, 
But what you have to do is get the best out of everybody that you have. That's, and, uh, that's uh, a good point. And that, that falls down to the crew too. You know, I mean, I worked at some stations that had 12 people assigned. I've worked at some that had, you know, two people assigned in the, in the other department and out of, tw- out of the station with 12 different people had different yes. like, things that they contributed. And, and, um, it, it can't be overstated the importance of the person that like takes care of the station or the person that cooks. Yeah. And so, yeah. sometimes the person that cooks is like the best firefighter on the crew. And sometimes maybe they're the worst, but the importance of them in the crew and you like, you fit them into the, to the yes. system and you try you not go. to put them in positions. Yes. They're going to make them fail or, yeah. Yep. whatever. So, you know, I know the, the old school captains, um, some that I worked with, there were, you know, there were a few people that like, they didn't want them in the building. And so they would run them to death. Yeah. They'd be like, go get me a, go get me a pike pole. Go, go get me a hook. Go get uh-huh. me a short ladder. Go get me a, a fan. Go get me mm-hmm. this. And all they did is run back and forth yeah. to the truck or they pulled slack or wh- whatever it was, but they fit in. I say they, they weren't, they weren't made fun of because they were a part of the, yeah. a part of the, part of the they team, their value somewhere in that, exactly. in that team. Well, I think that's uh, I, you make a great point. The strongest teams are diverse teams, right? When you, especially when you talk about sports and I know we talk about sports a lot on this show, like you don't want the quarterback playing all 11 positions, right? right? I mean, you, can't. you, yeah, you, you can't, not going to work. I mean, good luck to that team or whatever sport it might be, or that team, like people are going to have its strengths. And they're on that team because of their strengths and what they bring to the table. And so when you're able to, as leaders, as effective leaders, are able to strategically place individuals where they can make the most benefit for the team, that's Mm -hmm. where the team thrives. And so, because at the end of the day, if we're all the subject matter expert in ventilation, but no one's a subject matter expert in pump operations or search, how effective is that team going to be in a house fire, right? Unless you're only up there to do, to cut holes and that's it, get, go home you know, which is, is unrealistic as well. So I, I use a, a, a sports analogy for battalion chiefs all the time is that a battalion chief is very much like a college football coach there you go. is you've got a group now. Um, you're not always in charge of recruiting. And like I said, you don't, you don't have a lot of control over necessarily who gets assigned to your battalion or what have you, but there's always a new group coming in mm-hmm. and there's a group leaving. And so uh, it, it was interesting in my first assignment as a battalion chief, I think I had 40, 48 people in the battalion. And uh, um, I think it was six stations. And within six years, there was only a couple of us left that were original mm-hmm. from the right. day, first day I started. And that was due to all kinds of things. Yes. Um, couple people quit a bunch of people retired because they were at the retirement age. Um, a lot of people got promoted and got moved to other shifts or other battalions. And so there was a constant change. And so that's important of having that battalion chief be a, be a constant fixture that is, has the systems in place and knows the buildings and the, and the territories and the history and, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a pretty good analogy. I, That's, think. I love the analogy. I love it. Yeah. Cause college football, 
coaches, it's a great point. It's not like um, the NFL where you might have, you know, some of your veterans that are on the team for over a decade and in college, you're lucky if you get them for three years, you know, they might be, and if they're really good. Done. Yeah. One. <laughs> they may go to the draft after the second. Exactly. Year. And you could be a really good team that, you know, is a conference, you know, contender and then irrelevant one year later. And no one wants that, right? Staying relevant and obviously using it's a system. You it's build a system. system. Build yeah. the correct system. We hear about that all the time. So good analogy. Thank you, Chief. And I'm only just to make sure everybody knows I'm only about 12 miles uh, from the University of Georgia. Is that right? All uh, right. Well, we should have. I, I got my youngest daughter's there. She's a, she's a um, cheerleader and she's got oh, two no of those way. national championship rings. Uh, yes, she does. We uh, are very connected. I'm, I, you know, I think I might even have on some apparel today. Oh, uh, you do. They're Georgia Bulldogs. So, you know what? <laughs> we always open the show talking about, about, about sports. And I, I apologize. I, I should have started with the Georgia Bulldogs. But if, uh, but since we're talking about college football, there it is, Georgia. So we're talking about college football. Uh, right now and then we're talking about you know atlanta 12 miles away from the uh, university of georgia you have family members that are there now talking about mentorship and leadership right talking about systems because we I, I i talked about this in a in a class i was teaching earlier this year is uh, we talked about nick saban right the epitome of head football coach in in college football and we'll talk about building systems mm-hmm. well who and maybe not all of our listeners know this but who was one of his assistants for many years who's now the head football mm-hmm. coach who is the only defending successful defending champion of the college football playoff is Kirby smart. Yep. So it's, it just goes to saying and he was with him for years, years. even went years. to Miami with him. Yes, he did. Uh, yeah. And, over a decade. Yeah. And yeah, over Miami and in, 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 in the NFL. So I, I love that piece. Thank you for mentioning that. Cause we should have opened up the show just talking about Georgia Bulldogs, because I think the system, in fact, we were uh, watching the uh, Sunday night football with the, with the Eagles the other night and the, uh, the dolphins. And mm-hmm. I think we counted like on both sides of the, uh, of the team, oh, was... 17, seven of the players were uh, Alabama and like six were Georgia. Georgia. And yeah. it's like, you have an SEC football contest going on right now, but it just goes to systems. It goes to leadership. Yeah. It goes to competence. It goes to building up those. Right. And it, it goes to the saying, like, as a good leader, you want to build a leader that becomes better than you. Right. And that's the true yeah. success of a leader. Like Look you how don't... many head coaches and exactly. position coaches have come out of, yeah, the uh, the Alabama system. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, oh, it's NFL and college coordinators and head room. coaches. It's and wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for those conversations? Oh, yes, I would. Because yes. you know they got to they got to maintain the uh, love hate relationship <laughs> for the uh, yes. for the season. And, yes, uh, but you know I'm the first one because I guess you know I'm looking at it from same perspective we're talking about is yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Saban is is yeah just unbelievable yeah. in his systems. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, approach and, uh, you know, everything has a, has its cycle and yeah. they're going to be good forever, but it's interesting to see that like, <laughs> they're not on top, yes. you know, so everybody's like, what happens? And, 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 you know, yep. again, you got people coming in and going and look at what he's been able to do by losing all those coaches yes. over the years and George is in that same position, you know, yes, I mean, they are. Yes. Dan Lanning and, yep. and, uh, and we keep, we keep losing. You keep losing, yeah. but still to be at the top, like Alabama is is still in the current in the top ten again. And they yep. people are saying, "Oh, maybe it's the end of the era for Alabama." And maybe, but they're still in the conversation, right? They're in the top ten oh, yeah. now, and so I mean, it's look just how many teams system. there are. If you're in the top twenty, you got a oh, phenomenal yeah. program. Yeah, you know? exactly. And we're talking about about a hundred. The polls teams. don't really mean anything anyway. It's, no. It, it, yeah. it's all decided at the end. It is. It is. I, I heard Kirby say that uh, the other day. They were like. 
after your performance against uh, Vanderbilt, do you think oh, right. you should be ranked number one? He goes, I don't care. Yeah. He goes, it, it means yeah. absolutely yeah. nothing. He goes, yeah. I want to be, I want to be number one at the end. Of at the, the year. end. Yes. What does it matter? Week one, pre, pre, preseason rankings, so forth. So, all right. So real quick, I heard you say this before. Talk about this. I should say, what is loyal disobedience? <laughs> so uh, that was something that Bobby sort of tagged on me and uh, he didn't come up with the, with the word, but it, he used it quite a bit. And I, I think uh, what that means to me is that you are extremely loyal to the profession. You, you invest time in the, in the profession, but you d just don't go with the flow out of convenience for yourself to make it easy for yourself. So if something's wrong, you say something, you know, you say something, you speak up, you, uh, you're pushing for change. You're pushing for, mm. um, against the status quo, almost, almost against the establishment. If you, if you will, is yeah. that, you know, uh, you're, you're not bought into, well, we have to do it this way because we've always done it this way. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a tough road. It's that you're, you're loyal, you love your organization and all that, but you're willing to speak out and point out the flaws of your organization, the flaws of your crew, the flaws of yourself, uh, and in a, in a way that your, your mission is to improve the organization overall. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you, there's a lot of leaders that don't want to, they want to hear what, what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Uh -huh. And sometimes you get put in that category, um, of, you know, I've been called an organizational terrorist. Uh, that was a big mm. word that we had in our department. And basically, I mean, there is such a thing. Sure. Um, obviously, but I, I think as a, as a leader, sometimes the people who may seem to be complaining, maybe you need to slow down and listen a little bit because there may be some legitimacy, especially if they sure. you know, they know what they're doing Yes, and they're not like a troublemaker in the sense of, yeah. you know, they're going to, they're having to go to rehab every three months. They're missing work. They're, uh, yeah. Um, that's different. Know, they're just mouthing off. They're just, yes. you know, they're just unhappy people. There's a difference in that person who is constantly bringing up things that may make you uncomfortable. And, and it's, it's easy as a leader to discount those people because you don't want to hear bad stuff. Like nobody wants to hear the things that are going wrong. Agreed. You know? Agreed. But you have to take the time and listen and investigate to see if there's, even if it's not a hundred percent true, what they're bringing because maybe their perspective isn't, it's not a complete picture, but there's usually always at least a little bit of truth in there. That is something that could grow into a bigger, Issue. a bigger problem. Yeah. So, wow. Um, if you know, um, obviously I've worked for, for both and some people really wanted to know what you were thinking and wanted your input. Some people only wanted your input to find out, what you were thinking. And if you were thinking different than them, then you get then, discounted, then you get discounted. Yeah. And then some people only wanted you to be a bobblehead and yeah. agree with everything yep. they said. Yep. And if you're, and, and if you're not one to fit into those, those categories, then you make it uncomfortable and un, 
pleasant yeah. for them because you're yeah. pointing out the the fallacies. But it, if you're doing it in a way that you're truly trying to make the organization better, then I think that's the epitome definition of loyal wow. disobedience. That's I mean that's powerful. I've never I've never heard that before. I've heard you talk about it in the past, and that's why I wanted to ask about that. So some people are some people are one hundred percent jerks. Sure. And they think they're loyal disobedience. But, you know, the test is, are you fighting for something that makes it better for you? It's just a personal issue. You want to be at this station or you want to, you want to be able to wear this piece of gear or whatever, or, or are you doing it in a way that is actually a sacrifice that is going to cause you some grief, but it's going to cause people to look and make a change for the organization as a, as a whole. Oh. And being a good leader means that you got to sort through that at yeah. any level. Yeah. Any level. Nobody likes a complainer. Sure. But sometimes they're not really complaining. They're bringing up, they're trying to have dialogue. Yeah. And sometimes it comes across as a complaint, but yeah. to me, that's a sign when you see somebody that's, that's talking a lot about something and, mm-hmm. and you need to go and sit down one-on-one and like, there you go. have that conversation and find out what, where maybe their perspective is totally wrong and you can sure. steer them in the right direction. But like I said, there's usually always a little bit of, little bit always of a little bit of truth to every rumor and there's always a little bit of truth to every complaint. Yes. Well, that's the thing is right. It's like, there's three stories to every story. There's this side, this side, and somewhere in the middle, somewhere yeah. in the middle, there's some truth. And I love that because, uh, and, and you answered the question in which I was going to ask is how, how does a leader, right. Whether it be a top leader, middle manager, or even, you know, a, a leader at the, at the station or at the crew, how do you, how do you get those individuals to wait? What are you talking about? Let me, is there truth behind this? Tell me more, but I think you answered it. You got to have conversations. You got to have dialogue and you mm-hmm. have to really be intentional about, let me find out what, what this individual is quote unquote complaining about, or we'll say concerned about, because like you said, if there's even a little bit of truth behind some of this, it's, I think it's worth looking into. Right. Yep. But so for it's all, it's hard to, you know, especially in the, the higher up you go, like in my position now with, with fire engineering, FDIC, there's so many people involved in the process and instructors. And I know we don't do everything perfect. Um, and, and it's hard. You, you, you kind of have a hard time balancing your day-to-day grind with being able to have that personal contact, especially remotely. It's mm-hmm. different if you're working uh-huh. on a fire station, but imagine the fire chief, has that same problem as like the fire chief can't go to every station, every shift, every day yeah. and have that kind of relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. luckily we have media, we have, you know, they can, they can do things. They can, they can have live zoom calls and they can yeah. do a lot of stuff, but they still have the grind of their day that they got to get through too. And so um, one of the, one of the quotes that I, I, I've had forever and it's, I, I can't cite where it came from. I just happened to see it like in like 1992 and it was like when I went first went to Atlanta, I was working in the fire chief's office as a recruit. And one of the things I helped them with was like, they had a daily bulletin that went out and it was just, it was a communications tool. It was short two or three lines about all different kind of stuff. Our weekly bullet, it was a weekly bulletin. Um, so 52 of them a year mm-hmm. came out and uh, way before we had computers and all that. So they were like typed. And there would be a quote at the top every, uh, every week. And so I was helping the fire chief's admin put one of those together. And I had seen this quote. And even though I'd only been in, 
in Atlanta for like four or five months, I already saw some of the things, you know, cause I was yeah. working with the fire chief. So I'd sit in on some of the meetings and stuff. And, and, and this quote got me and it's so true for everybody is we never have enough time to do it right, but we always have time to do it over. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just so powerful. Yeah, it is. Like, take the time. It's like, what, who, whose clock are you on? Yeah. We self-impose these deadlines yes. on, a, on a, like we, well, we got to have this done by this. Who, who, yeah. who says we have to have exactly. it done? Why can't yeah. we take a breath and like, yeah. you know, the only yeah. thing we have to get done is we have to answer that call when it goes yes. off. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, we do have some deadlines that you have to meet. There's, you know, train, but as far as a lot of, we self-impose these crazy deadlines and we try to throw stuff out when it's mm-hmm. not vetted. Yeah. And, uh, I know in our organization, it was, you would get the, we had, we had a system that was called numbered memorandum and that was like, it was not a policy, but it was like very important that, mm-hmm. you know, everybody had to sit down at the table in the print days and you had to sign the back of it that you had read the numbered yeah. memorandum. And so we would get a numbered memorandum and, uh, on Monday, and you knew by the time you came back on duty on Thursday that you would be getting the fourth revision. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> or eight. sometimes it's unavoidable, right. But it was just so rushed and there would be wrong yeah. information or yeah. the wrong names and, and yeah. it would have to be, it's and just, what would happen is it would be released. Yeah. And that was the vetting. Yes. It would be released and then they get 10 phone calls. Hey, hey, hey. No, forget no, about no, this. No. Forget about this. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, we had uh, Deputy Chief Frank Viscuso, which I'm sure you know, on the show yeah. months back. And he said, kind of in line with what you're saying, you give a firefighter a project, six months to finish a project, it'll be done in the last 15 minutes. Or you give a firefighter 15 <laughs> minutes to do a project, it'll be done in those 15 minutes. Yeah. But you're right, these self-imposed deadlines. Yeah. And so, so like, right, all stories are, are funny in the fire service because there's always some truth behind it. It's you know, get, get it right. Spend time to get it right. Do it right. And I love your quote is, uh, can you say it again? You said, uh, there's always, yeah, we never have time to do it right, to do it right. But we always have time time to do it over, to do it over, (laughs) to do it again. Yeah. Spend the time up front. Root causes of majority of stress. And you mentioned exclusion, organizational vindictiveness and favoritism. I think that was in your FDIC Mm -hmm. speech. Two things I want to ask about that, or maybe all three, is exclusion and favoritism as as far as a cause of stress, a majority of stress in the workplace. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm very intrigued about that direction of exclusion and favoritism. Yep. So um, probably the first thing that everybody thinks about when when they hear the word exclusion, um, discrimination, anything like that, they're thinking... um, minority groups in, in the fire service or whatever. Um, and obviously that's, that's an issue, but my point in the speech was there is forms of that all throughout the organization and, and nobody really has a, uh, uh, a copyright on (laughs) being the victim of those things, uh, or, or has a, has a license on it. And, I, I saw it so much and it's um, the same mentality that does discriminate against a minority is the same mentality that just discriminates against an individual because they're either threatened, uh, they're either threatened by their knowledge 
or they're threatened um, by their status or whatever, uh, whatever it is. And um, I've seen a lot of good people um, that that could have really helped organizations flourish and uh, weren't looking for, they weren't looking for promotion because of their work. They were just looking to contribute, Mm -hmm. be held back or not allowed to have influence in their organization just simply because somebody didn't like them or they were jealous or, uh, you know, and, 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 um, like Lasky always says, egos eat brains. Um, it's, it's all throughout the organizations. And so it's not always against one group or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, uh, women in the fire service are small, small group. And so it's easy. It's easy for you to see those. Um, if if they're there. Um, but what's not as obvious always or not put in that same category is all of the people who are victims of the cronyism or bad, bad policies. Another one, like I I do a lot of promotional processes and stuff and it amazes me of how bad some people's promotional processes are. And, uh, you know, and, and if you're in a union shop and, and all the, usually they're very set and you know exactly what you're getting, not that they are always the greatest systems, sure. but they're predictable and, and it's hard to discriminate in promotions because you do X, Y, and Z and there's a score and then you're promoted off of that list. And usually it's, you know, one through whatever, sometimes they have a rule, but there's so many organizations that are and. and Obviously what'll work for a small organization may not necessarily work for a big organization, but you know, you got a, you got an organization that has 600,000 people. And I see all the time that they have a list, but there's no order Hmm. to the list. And so like the chiefs are able just to pick anybody Uh, off the list. It's qualified. It's like well-qualified and qualified. Yeah. And, um, there's no merit in the, in the process of how you did on whatever your assessment was, you know, if, if you're a fire chief of a 30 person department, you got a pretty good handle on the pulse of everybody in your organization and you know, strengths and stuff. And so it may not be a bad system there, but when you've got 600 people taking a a lieutenant's test or a captain's test, you can't possibly know all the people. So you have to have a system in place to, um, to promote and yeah. to, to make that work. And, uh, it, it's interesting to see the, the amount of, uh, subjectivity yeah, there you is, go. that That's is imposed word. in some of the processes. And yeah. I'm not saying all subjectivity is bad. I sure. think there should be a little subjectivity in some things, but yeah. to be able to have a person who's like number one on if you, if you don't like promoting by the list, then get a better process that creates the, you know, if number one on your process isn't the person you want, then you got a jacked up process. Agreed. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, and, 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 and yeah, you know, there's, there's no perfect solution to anything. Sure. And, and there are people that, that can participate in a process and do better than they could actually function in the job. But yeah. things like written tests and just an interview, 
does not tell you if that person's going to be a good officer. It tells you only that that person is dedicated enough to prepare for that process. That's, great. that's it. And that's right. a good quality. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're going to be good. So, um, you know, I like the assessment centers that have multiple parts Sure. and there's no automatic failure. Like if you, if you happen to, to not do that well on this one, then you're kicked out of the process. Well, no, because you're looking at a, you're looking at the whole person mm-hmm. and you want, I, I, I use the gymnastics philosophy is like the best overall gymnast in a meet may not win any single event. Right. True. But they're right. always going to be in the top five. on Well-rounded. Every yeah. At the top <laughs> and everything, right. They're well-rounded. Well, you make a good point about the subjectivity and things because you talk about stress and exclusion. And we see it in a lot of our processes, right? Whether it be, like, say, an evaluation process, right? If it's subjectivity, how much of that is just your single opinion on something and you're not basing it off an objective decision or process, if you will, or thought, and then, or even the hiring process, right? How many times? Absolutely. And we're going through this here. It's like, I just want the best candidate to come work here. Well, what does that mean? What's best mean? Like I might have a different best than your best and we're sitting on the Mm -hmm. same panel. You said this person sucks. I say this person looks the best. And so just getting rid of, you know, not getting rid of, because we want to talk about obviously tangible and realism, realism too, but um, recognizing, I guess would be the best way, recognizing that exclusion exists in some of these processes. And it always has. I mean, it's, it's human nature. I mean, people have their circles of influence and, and that's, again, that's another Part of leadership is realizing that that exists. And and I'll give you a prime example. Yeah. That probably happens in every fire department across the nation. So you've got a guy that uh, comes up through the ranks and uh, makes lieutenant and ends up at headquarters Mm -hmm. in whatever assignment. Uh, Maybe they're the PIO or maybe they're an inspector or maybe they're uh, investigator, fire investigator or whatever. So now they have FaceTime at headquarters, right? Right. But then they get promoted to captain and they stay in that realm. Well, they are probably more likely to get a chief's position um, if there's no process that is, right. is objectively evaluating. Objectively, there you go. Strictly because of relationships. Yes, yes. All right. And again, we talked about how important relationships were, but as the leader of the organization, you have to realize that there are 400 other candidates out there and there may be 350 that are better. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Right. Person that you have the relationship with. And so you don't automatically discount that person because you have the relationship with them, but you don't want to deny someone else the opportunity because of your lack of a process to adequately evaluate. And so, you know, in the South, they always call that the good old boy system or whatever, Mm -hmm. but there's, there's forms of that that have existed in society forever. And it's a natural occurrence. Yes, And and sometimes it goes too far and becomes a a major issue. Like it actually violates laws and and things, (laughs) but, but it's, you have to know that you're, and, and I guess the, the right term is your, um, your own biases. Ah, uh, you read my right. Re- I don't mean that in a, no, not a negative light. In a negative way is like everybody has cognitive bias yes. based off of your experience. 
So you have to recognize that and put a system in place, whether it's picking FDIC instructors, sure, uh, deciding whose articles you're going to publish, hiring yeah. somebody in a fire department. So you have to build systems that give you as much information as possible so that you can be objective. Make a good decision. Oh, it's and, funny. You, yeah, you, uh, I'm writing the word bias as you said the word bias, true story right here. And, mm -hmm. uh, so I guess rhetorical question, I always have a rhetorical question every episode, uh, rhetorical, but I guess not so much by definition because, uh, the question will still be asked is bias exists. Yes. I mean, there's a lot that, that will say that I'm not a biased person or I'm not, there's nobody that doesn't have bias. Yes. So recognizing you mentioned just recognizing that you might have a bias toward this process, this person, this group, recognizing that. So then you can adequately and accurately move forward with the decision-making and ultimately work toward building a system that not just recognize bias, but tries to eliminate bias or subjectivity when possible. Correct. Um, so and there's nothing harder than coming into a place that doesn't have a system and you still have to move forward yeah. at the same time that you're trying to develop a system. And yeah. so, yeah, you know, whether that's a fire station or, yeah. Yeah. Or, or an organization, but you have to do that. And I think so many, so much of uh, attention's being put on mental health right mm -hmm. now. And, um, um, not to take anything away from PTSD because it's, it's real and it does occur from calls, but the majority of stress on our public safety sector, um, is the lack of the lack of understanding those things and how they work. It's the day to day exposure to bad policy, to bad decision-making to not being able to have influence, to not feeling you're a part of the team. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is that that's your support network, yeah. um, along with your family, along with your friends and everything else. But your organization is one of the hugest, uh, one of the largest support networks you have. Yes. And what, what we're learning is that when you do have a traumatic incident, uh, a line of duty death, a bad call, a, a suicide. If you don't have that trust in your organization and, and those relationships, then that's why you can't deal with that. And you, and you have that PTSD um, yeah. experience in some cases there are, there are it's more, much more complicated than, than I'm making it. But, but uh, that was a main uh, it was intentional in my speech. Yep. Uh, I've experienced it. I've witnessed people that have experienced it. I'm very lucky in that I had just tremendous support network everywhere, mm -hmm. um, inside the department, outside the department, but the organization itself was sort of the bad guy yeah. in, in a lot of these Mm -hmm. a lot of these situations and it doesn't mean you have to be a weak organization and just allow whatever to happen. Right. Uh, um, there still has to be discipline and, and processes, but I, I think, um, we have done a disservice by putting so much focus in blaming everything on PTSD and stress and not focusing on what I said was the root problem. Yep. was the day-to-day -day bad decisions in, in not every organization, but in a lot of organizations, there's, there's bad policy and 
and bad practice. And, and it's not just against one group or another. It use if it's a, if you notice it against one group that it's obvious, then that means it's happening all through everywhere, everywhere else and all your yeah. other policies. And, and sometimes it's the, the hard part is sometimes it's not necessarily a strategic planned thing for an organization. It's just the culture of the organization yeah. that, this is just kind of the way it is, is like this guy gets to pick his crew. This guy yeah. doesn't. Yeah. We know this guy's going to be assigned to all these stations because that's sort of our, that's our path to chief. Mm-hmm. If you get to work at this station while you're a firefighter, then you get promoted. You're going to go to this station and you're quote taken care of. Well, then that means every time somebody's taken care of, that means depending on the size of the organization, there's a hundred people that didn't get taken that aren't. care of. There you go. And didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. So the key is providing, I actually got an article about this coming out next month in my editorial. The, the key is you establish processes, you set the expectations and you provide the opportunity for everybody. Yes. You don't necessarily have to give them exactly every piece, but you show them the, the, here's what you need. Yes. Some of these things you're going to be able to get internally. Some of these things you're going to have to get on your own, but here's, here's the core competencies that you need to possess in order to be a good driver, in order to be a good Lieutenant. And when you do that, then it opens the door for whoever puts the effort in and you always want a system that keeps the people out that aren't competent and don't put the effort in. And we talk about that, uh, and, and it can't and, be personality driven or exactly individual driven. It's right. It's, it's merit driven and it's competency. Exactly. It's not driven. subjective. It's not uh favoritism driven where, you know, and we talk about equity, we talk about you and you mentioned it, right. Having it listed, whatever it might be for everyone has access to get it and not just only a shift will have the resources, right? Because a shift has the up and coming leaders of the organization. No, it's provided for everyone. It's announced for everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to reach out to the mentors and the people that are accessible. Everyone has access to whatever resources is necessary and not just certain groups. And that's what we fight for, for the equitable processes is at that point in time, then may the quote unquote best succeed because now everyone knows the expectation, everyone knows the resource, everyone has available. You don't want the individual that has the most resources to get, we'll say promoted or picked or whatever it might be. But instead we want everyone to have the resources, but then the work ethic. And from that point on is how you separate yourself more or less. Correct. You, so, you, you provide the, you provide the map and you provide the resources. Not everybody's going to take advantage of it. There you go. Exactly. But the and, ones that do, are yep. going to succeed at some point. Exactly. And that's what you want. That's exactly um, what you want. And then when you do that, you don't have to manipulate numbers. You don't yeah. have to do special programs and stuff. Yeah. If you put it out there on the front, yeah. Yeah. there are people in every race, religion, creed that can do what the expectations are. Yes. Yes. Agreed. And and it, and it works. I've seen it in promotional processes. I've, yeah. I've seen it and, and it's, and it sets you up for success too, because, uh, I've, I've said this a couple of times. It's, um, 
definitely relates to what we're talking about. Um, I told there was a, there was a young female firefighter that was graduating in a recruit school, um, that they had asked me to, to speak at their, at their recruit graduation. And she was like one of two or three in this department, I think. And I told her flat out, I said, you do realize like you are in a very unique position because with those groups, and and again, this is human nature. I'm not saying it's right. If you're one of three female firefighters in an organization and you're horrible, then the perception is every female firefighter is horrible. Same thing happened uh, uh, with black firefighters in the sixties coming in to the organization. There was only 10 or 15 at first, uh, whatever the, the minority group is. That's, that's the hard part is that the, my, every single person in the minority group represents everybody. Right. But that's a perception. For my group, for my group, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. speaking, speaking for, for my organization, like, uh, there was 1500 of us, I guess. So wow. you think about 1500 people, I don't know how, what the makeup was, but right. you know, let's say it was, it was 50, 50, uh, black, white, whatever, whatever it was. And probably 10 females and, and 1% of every, everything else that was in the mix. So out of the, out of the, out of the white males, let's say there was 500, well, hell 200 of them were horrible, but they weren't judged as the yeah. rest of, they were, they were just horrible on yeah. their own. Yeah. And so that's, a, that's another cognitive yes. bias. Yes. Again, a lot of people look at it as it's malicious and it's like, it's just a cognitive bias because what you're, what you're used to and you have, you have to realize that. And, yes. and as a leader, every individual has to stand on their own. Yeah. And if you start putting people in groups, then you're, yeah. you're asking for trouble. Yeah. To, to be a reductionist here, chief, if you had to pick, and I know this is going to be a, it's, it's probably going to be tough, but we'll see. If you had to pick one item that was non-negotiable as a leader in your experience as firefighter, battalion chief, editor in chief, and every uh, rank and position, union president, every position you've held, if there was one piece that was non-negotiable and a highly effective leader, what would it be? Somebody that didn't think that they had anything else to learn. Mm. There you go. So you've done all the classes, you've spoke at all the events, uh, you've reached a certain status and you're owed the position, Mm. you know, and then you get it, but then you're done. You're just entitlement. I made it right. I I made it. Yeah. I made it. I don't need to do more. Right. Anybody uh, that feels entitled, you know, I should be the chief. I should be the editor. I should be, you know, I've done all this stuff. Yeah then uh, that's kind of a no, no brainer. It's like, you know, there you go. Cause, cause we're all learning every day. Everybody. Be. Yeah. the firefighter, the recruit to the fire chief and everything in between. It's always more to learn. So I love that. Thank you for keeping that. Uh, so, so simple for our listeners. All right. We have what we call rapid fire coffee top off. So you've given a non-negotiable. Now let's talk to three groups of individuals in the fire service or other. Uh, basically, according to Chief David Rhodes, what's uh, something that these individuals could do right now to start in their journey of leadership to start growing? So the first group would be newer firefighters, it could be recruits, probationary firefighters, or someone new in their career. 
according to Chief Rhodes, what's something that those groups can do right now, today, to just start growing as leaders? Um, in that first five years, it's so important to learn the job. And um, you're not looking at it as leadership, but you're, you are building the competence piece that is going to be necessary for you um, to be a promotable candidate. So um, I see it, see it a lot. You know, one year guy is signing up for all these um, leadership one, two, three, whatever. And it's, it's not that you, it's good for them to have that, but I kind of always looked at, and if you can't tell me every piece of equipment on that engine and what it does and the history of it and when it's to be used, then you need to be spending your time learning that, not going to leadership one, two, and three mm-hmm. right now. Right and now. and I think people are afraid to tell people like, no, you can't go to that. Um, and so you, but on the, on the flip side of that, you got to have a system to make sure you're measuring that they know all the equipment and stuff. You, you can't just say no. Cause you know, maybe this guy comes in in two months, they've mastered, sure. they could tell you every piece of whatever. And you're kind of like, yeah, man, you can go to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I see you're putting in time. Yeah. I think it'll be good for you to, yeah. to learn it, but learn, learn the job. Don't, I, I guess in the age of the internet and, 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 uh, instant success. Somebody, ter- somebody told me the, the term Kool-Aid. All right. So everybody knows, Kool-Aid, <laughs> right? You, you add water and stir and it's an instant drink, right? <laughs> so you don't want to be a Kool-Aid firefighter. It takes time to develop expertise and yeah, you can get you a, a, a TikTok account and, and have a hundred thousand followers mm-hmm. on what you do at the fire station. But if you don't know how to pack the hose, how to pump the truck, how to operate the saw, what saws best for what situation, then um, you're really just a poser. Yeah, there you go. You know, Put the you're, time you're, in. You're, you're, you're fake. Yeah, you know? I, I love that piece because uh, you, you learn the job first, and but also ask the question because not everyone, you know, it's not a timeline, right? After three years, you are ready. Well, you might, might take six years, but there might be someone that's two years and ready for what it be leadership one, two, three, or something else. Right. We actually had that uh, example. We've never put, at least uh, recently speaking, we never put um, a probationary firefighter in our organization through pump school, through engineer mm-hmm. training. But we did last year. Um, it was toward the tail end of his probationary year, and that person was just a little bit ahead. They were mm-hmm. competent. They knew every you know piece of equipment on the rig and so forth. And so you you also don't want to. to to deny opportunities, but obviously making sure checks and balances are in place. You don't want someone learning, you know, vertical ventilation tactics if they have never touched the saw before. Right. So right. obviously oh, yeah, they so don't even know, they don't even know uh, um, yeah. the difference between a rotary yeah. saw and a chainsaw. And they dang sure can't take the there chain off the chainsaw and put it back on correctly. There you go. But go cut a hole. <laughs> so yeah, master the basics uh, is said a hundred times get good at the basics and, and know your job inside and out. And, and, um, you know, one of the things I tell all the smoke diver candidates is, is be the go-to guy, like yeah. be the go-to guy, be the one that's like always ready to, to work on the engine, to work on the equipment, to, yeah. to do what have you. And, yeah. and then look for opportunities too, like, uh, look for schools to go to, uh, yeah. 
go to those, you know, there's, there's, there's a fire conference somewhere every day. That's like a local fire conference. Look for training opportunities at your state Academy, get out of your, get out of your, your system. And you know what that may mean that you're having to do that on your own time. Yes. That's what I was going to say. And, and, you know, you get into the union uh, contract issues and, and things And I know some places are restricted, but at a minimum, you can read a book. Yeah. At the very and, minimum, and not yeah. violate any rules, yeah. um, you know, yeah. work within your system, but look for opportunities to, to take those classes. And there's a lot of workarounds. Um, yeah. There's a lot of there. there if you want to learn, you can find a way. You can find opportunities. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I've heard that from you and I'll just reiterate here for the listeners is you've mentioned multiple times, get out of your comfort zone, but get out of the organization to learn something, right? You might need to take a class at the state Academy. You might need to be an instructor of sub, you know, or get on a cadre of some kind of expertise, get outside the, the, the daily organizational norms to yeah. better yourself to then you can become a better leader to then bring back to your organization. Is kind of what I hear. So, all right. You're becoming well-rounded during that. Yes. That time. So the emerging leader, this is that newer company officer, those emerging company officers and leaders in organizations, uh, maybe just someone, someone newer in that leadership and or supervisor role. What's something that those individuals could do today to start growing as leaders? Um, do a lot of listening, listening, uh, listening and learning from learning from others. Uh, you need to have uh, a network of confidants, mentors outside of your organization so that when you have something that comes up, um, it's sometimes hard to discuss within your organization because the first thing that comes up is like, well, who, who are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So if the person you're talking to has to know who you're talking about, then again, those cognitive (laughs) biases kick in. So you need to be able to talk to somebody outside of your organization where names don't matter. Yep. They don't know what the person looks like. They don't know anything about them. You're just giving them the facts of what's happening and asking for advice on, on how to handle it. Um, and, and, and reading, uh, is, is key. And the reason I say reading is that you're, you're trying to get perspective. Um, and so reading every time you pick up a book and read that book, you are going to automatically relate it to Mm -hmm. where you work (laughs) or your family or whatever it is. And you're like, Oh, and some things will click, you know, yeah. you'll be like, that's why I had that similar thing occur and start focusing on the, on the why things, there you, you go. know, occur. And then again, building those relationships. There you go. Um, relationships. So that you, you can't not have relationships and then become an officer and then all of a sudden have relationships. Uh, it, it, yeah. Your reputation starts in recruit school. There you go. And it, it, it follows you in a great quote, quote, my buddy of mine is, uh, and he's great, but he, he's, he, he's comes across a little abrasive. I always say he has an engineer's mind. Um, he's com- he's as competent as anybody, but he's not that great on the personal, like personal skill levels. Mm-hmm. Like it's black and white, mm-hmm. you know, like it's when I, when he picks up the phone, it's not, Hey man, how's it going? You having a good day? Whatever. It's like, Hey man, you got that thing done. <laughs> yeah, so some people that's 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 a jerk so he yeah. he knows it and he's a <laughs> hundred times better than he was 20 years ago okay there you go but he has a famous quote when he got promoted to lieutenant and he's one of my best friends in the world he says never 
let anybody say that I got promoted and became an asshole. I have been an asshole the whole time. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Right. Stay true so, to who you are. No, uh, so, that's good. Uh, that's good. So yeah, um, make sure you got those relationships and and realize the importance of them and, and, yes. you know, build them inside and outside of your organization. Love it. Love it. Thank you. All right. Chief officers. Uh, let's see. Battalion chiefs, deputies, division chiefs, fire chiefs, something that those groups of individuals could do today to continue to grow or to continue to become a highly effective leader. The hardest part, once you promote, is letting go of certain things Hmm. and uh, you can't let go to the point where you're losing your, your edge on knowledge. But the fact is, is that you can't be effective in your position. Um, If, if you're the, if you're the incident commander and you're up on the roof, cutting the hole, there you go. um, You need to know how to cut the hole. You need to know what it takes to cut the hole. Um, you need to make sure that everybody that is going to be in the position to cut the hole knows what they're doing, but you can't get up there and do it yourself. Even if you can do it better or you think you can, you have to let go and you have to know that those skills are perishable and you're going to start losing them. And it's the hardest thing for a battalion chief, uh, uh, you know, or anybody, once you get up to that level, it's hard not to pick up the hose and pull it. It's hard not to, you know, get up in there and want to get task oriented, but you got to realize that's not your yeah. job anymore. And if, yeah. if you do that, then you lose sight of the, yeah. of the big picture of the incident. Your job is to manage the incident, yeah. provide yeah. them with information and resources so that they can do those things. Yeah. Um, it. doesn't mean you can't participate in training. Um, a hundred percent think that, that you still should, even at the fire chief level, come out, throw an air pack on every now and then go through the smokehouse just to one, it's, it's good for your reputation. And yep. two, it's a good, it's good for you to remember what it's like. So, uh, that's a hard thing. And when you get to that level, your job is to build teams of people who can function, not to, get down to the task level on, yeah. on everything. So you have to really start changing your focus and you have to develop the people who can pass yes. along oh, those, I love that. those traits and stuff. And it's hard. It's hard. hard. We've talked about before the show, like, uh, so I've been doing the smoke diver thing for since 1995 and been in, in or since 1986 and have been in charge since 1995. Um, I actually had two roles there. One was called smoke daddy, which was sort of like the, the drill sergeant role out on the drill yard. Mm -hmm. You're communicating with the students, you know, you're making sure you're kind of the assistant principal disciplinarian chief of the boat, whatever it is. But then I also was the IC of the class running the type three incident Mm -hmm. management team that runs it. Um, so, uh, actually, um, knew that we were mentoring somebody to take over the smoke daddy role. Um, I'd been in it longer than anybody else had over the years. But, um, um, one day I was like looking at some pictures from the class, you know, it was probably five or six classes ago. I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, damn, I'm getting old. And I'm like thinking, 
all right, it's not that I don't have anything to offer these young guys, but what's the perception when I walk up there and I'm this older guy, you know, like yelling at these 19 and 25 year olds. They're like, Oh, what's pops doing up there? You know, <laughs> oh, he thinks he's, he thinks he's whatever. And, and, and again, it's not, that I don't have anything to contribute, but it's like, you know what? It's, it's, it's time. I There's don't know time. if this guy's ready or not. Um, I think he is, Yeah, but there needs to be change. And, and I actually think I waited longer than I should have. I think mm-hmm. I should have transferred it over to him a couple of years before I actually did, but we did that a couple of classes ago. We got a new yeah. guy's phenomenal in there. He's a beast and yeah. and he's a, uh, he's a hundred percent all over it. Um, yeah. And then I kept the IC role for a couple of classes. And then now in my new position, now I'm retired from, from Atlanta. So I firmly believe that within two years of you being outside of the organization and the day to day, you lose your, your relevance as far as, again, not that you don't have some wisdom to pass along and some techniques and all, but if you're not on the floor running those calls, it goes away so fast. The little nuances and the little tips that you can pass along, they need to be coming from somebody that's active. There you Uh, go. And so I'm actually going to step back this class as the IC even, um, and, and, and let the, the guy who's been running the operation pretty much anyway, take over that officially. The beautiful part is I'll still be there. And so we always talked about, we never had that luxury where, and, and imagine in a fire department, like, let's say you got a, somebody's good enough to last 15 years mm-hmm. as a fire chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck with that, with yeah. the politics and, and all. Um, what if they were able to step back and not be the fire chief, but still be there in some capacity as mm-hmm. an advisor for the, for the new fire chief? Yeah. Yeah. You know, usually what happens, like, and no matter what position is, you're the training chief, you get promoted to deputy yeah. chief or whatever you leave. The next guy comes in and he looks at the desk and he goes, what is all this stuff? And he yeah. slides all that stuff off the yeah. desk. And then he starts his, here's mine starts the way yeah. he does things. Yeah. But, um, I'm going to be able to be there Yeah. and still sort of just be the advisor. You know, yeah. um, that's what we had. We actually had a title on our IEP that's a spiritual advisor huh? for, for a yeah. guy who was like one of the old guys that we didn't assign him to something, but he was just there. Yeah. And it was good that he was there because he added, he added a little color and flavor <laughs> to the group. He very eccentric kind of guy, but he was very much a command yeah. uh, expert. And he was just a guy you could go and say, Hey man, yeah, you ever see this in yeah. your time? Like, you know, what about this? And, 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 and I always say the good mentors don't ever answer you. Yeah. There you <laughs> they go. Don't ever, they don't ever give you the one, two, three. They guide you to your own uh, solution. I've heard you say that before. I can't remember what I heard you say, but yeah, you're right. They don't, they don't necessarily just give you the answer flat out. They encourage you and help you work through a problem solving process to then you figure it out. Yeah. And that goes into that whole adult learning too, is like, if you just give an answer to someone, how much of it is actually stick versus you help them find the answer themselves, long-term memory hits in and that information, that knowledge, that skill becomes more ingrained long-term. Yeah. So well, you're going to work, you're going to work harder on something you came up with yourself exactly. than you are if you're told, yep. you know, all right, this is the way you do it. 
blah, blah, blah. And you're, yeah. you're like, okay. Yeah. Uh, but if you're like, Hey, here's, here's what we're trying to accomplish. You figure out exactly you know, process. You're yep. going to be a hundred percent invested in your yep. process. To yeah. Get there. And that's, There's, that's important. We always joke that smoke divers that we wanted to be, uh, I mean, we're so passionate about it. We want to stay involved as much as we can, as long as we can. But we were like, it's going to be cool. Where where me and and the guy who's about to take over, we're both at some point coming back just to hang out and maybe cook. Maybe maybe we're like flipping burgers at the yeah. grill, but we're there. And then we know that the younger guys are going to run into some issue, and it's going to be like, hey, who's going to go ask them? He's like, I'm not going over there. And you could just be the grumpy old guy at the grill, you know, where they come over there and they go, Hey, Hey, hey uh, can I ask you something? And you're like, yeah. yeah. They're like, uh, we, we got this situation, blah, 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 blah. And then you're just you kind of look at them and you go, well, what do you think you should do? And they go, well, I think we should do so-and-so. So, and then you go, well, why the hell did you ask me? Yeah. <laughs> and then you just go back to cooking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I'm on my business now. Uh, but I, 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 I love that last, uh, advice you, you say, cause it really resonated and I'll go back to a sports analogy, but I'll first off go with the Simon Sinek. Cause you said letting go because yes, you may know how to cut a hole in the roof, but it's not your job anymore. It's about stepping back. It's a perishable skill, but I heard this from Simon Sinek and I'll use it also in a, in a, uh, in a, in a Kirby smart in a in university of Georgia type fashion here, but the fire chief, or we'll just say a chief officer, or even we'll just say a lead instructor of a, of a company or whatever it may be, is not is no longer in charge of providing the direct service to the customers. They're in charge right. of making, they're in charge of the people that are now in charge of delivering the service or performing the task, right? And so we'll use, a, we'll use Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, or so on and so forth, right? They're the head coaches who are in charge of the offensive and defensive coordinator who are then in charge of the offense in charge of the players. So yeah. you are not directly, you know, calling the plays in some instances, some head coaches are, but the, the fact of the matter is still the same is letting go. I guess it was your moral is at some point when you're at that type of leadership role or whatever role it might be in, there's a time where letting go is necessary. And then also because you want to, again, go back to what you said, building relationships and building trust and, uh, Thank you. I love, I love that piece. I'd be remiss if I didn't just ask this very quick before we go to the leadership challenge, the smoke diver program. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about the smoke diver program. Is that something that only, uh, I know you're it's, uh, it's, it's expanded beyond uh, Atlanta and Georgia. Georgia uh, yeah. uh, so is that something that is open to uh, uh, students outside that can come into is it Illinois, Georgia, and some Oklahoma? Where, where's it? Yeah. At? Um, so um, we, we take about, half about 50 percent of our classes from out of state oh it is okay so we we take anywhere from 42 to 46 uh students a class and uh you know it's it's a mental and physical challenge it's very much um along the same lines of any uh, i i use this cautiously it's it's it basically uses the same techniques as special forces training does as mm -hmm. far as mental and physical challenge. Sure. Um, obviously it's firefighting and not war fighting, but, sure. um, and it's six days and not, you know, six months or, mm -hmm. or however. So there's no comparison in the, in that realm, but it's the same mentality in the same philosophy is that you're working towards understanding, um, what your capabilities are, and how you function and make decisions under stress, 
um, as part of a small unit, as part of a team. Um, it's, it's life changing for some sure. people because they haven't experienced anything like that. We get, you know, a joke and say that, okay, we are teaching you life skills and how to overcome adversity. Yeah. We're just using firefighting drills to do it there because the real lesson is not the firefighting drills. Yes. Right. You're going to be better at searching. You're going to be better at, but you're not going to be better at searching for any one particular little technique that we teach you. You're going to be better at searching because you're going to have a wider view and a better understanding yes. of the decision-making process that allows you to be a good searcher. Uh, love it. It's not about, you know, whether your hands on the wall and your boot stretched out or your duck crawling or you're using yeah. a tick. Those are skills. Yes. Yes. To be an effective searcher, you have to make decisions on where to start your search. There you go. What, what entry point to use? What is the most likely place that somebody's going to be? Yeah. Um, those type of things. That's, yeah. that's kind of on the tactical scale. And then the other thing is like, we take you to a place physically where you're broken down and you still have to perform at the absolute highest level possible. And you can't replicate that in a station training yeah. drill. Yeah. You can do stress inoculation and have noise and all that. But until your body gets to that third day of grueling PT and drill after drill, and you know, you're there till from six 30 in the morning and you're not getting out maybe till 10 o'clock at night mm -hmm. uh, and you're not getting that much sleep and you're sore and you're hurting now is when the real decision making like kicks mm. in and, and uh, you know, some, some people, some researchers have looked at it. There's been a couple of books written. Um, one of the things that it looks like is we're, we're providing something, we're providing you years worth of experience in decision-making in mm. six days. Wow. That's and, awesome. And it depends on, you know, if, if you're from a department and you're, running, you know, a fire every week, every shift, you know, a couple of times a month or whatever, and you've got a lot of experience, you're going to have some of these things that you've picked up, but a lot of departments and a lot of shifts that like don't get the call volume and all it's like, how do they get the experience to make these decisions and right. one through training through simulations. But when you can come down for six days of this, it really mm. ups your experience level yeah. your confidence i can imagine you're yeah. very confident in your, in your abilities and we're trying to teach you to be that one in a hundred that no matter what your rank is when yeah. things go south you can hold it together and get the group out of whatever yeah. it is so we had people we've had people like you know write us after the class and say i never i signed up for this as a personal challenge to see if I was in good shape or whatever. And in the end, this actually saved my marriage mm. <laughs> because wow. it's, yeah. it's the adversity. Exactly. It's, it's more yes. than just skill-based training. It teaches you about your personality, your character, your, your Absolutely. ability to face adversity, your decision-making process, your mental 
challenge, if you will, and not just physical skill yeah. sets. And more people leave from the mental side than do from the physical side. Even if they think they're leaving for the physical side, sure. it's really the mental side. Sure. And, and, you know, we prove that all the time. One of the, one of the experiments I tell guys that, that, uh, that don't make it, you know, we're talking about how they trained and how they prepared and, uh, it kind of taps into some of the, the, the stuff you hear like David Goggins talk about, but mm -hmm. I tell them, I say, try this little experiment. Once you're recovered and you know, you're back to normal, tell yourself you're going to do 50 push-ups, and get down on the ground and count them out. One, two, three, four. I said, when you get to 35, 40, you're going to start getting tired and your arms are going to burn a little bit. And you'll, you'll, if you're in good shape, you'll get to 50, you'll, you'll crank, you know, you'll get through, but 50 is probably going to be like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's right. because your mind yes. has already pre-programmed where you're going. Yep. Mm -hmm. Smoke divers turns that upside down Yeah. because you never know when the day's going to end or what yeah. drills next or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. do this. Then the, the rest of the experiment is get you some headphones on and put some obnoxious music or, or help put this podcast on so that you're focused on something other than something the push-ups yeah. and make yourself sing a song or recite something so that you can't count Yeah, and tell your buddy to count and just get on the floor and do as many push-ups as you can. And what you'll find is you'll end up be doing a hundred and beyond. Yeah. But if you even tell, um, if, if, if I even tell you, you're going to do a hundred, yeah. then when you get to 85, you're going to yep. start getting, stiff yep. and you're going to crank out that hundred yeah because and it's all a mind trick and it it's, is it's it's a lot to learn but people don't know how to train for that but it's yep. so critical in our job that it you is have that skill oh yeah we've we, on the show it was actually deputy chief for usq show it talked about how practices during practice it's um there's uh there's individuals that and he uses the baseball analogy i use the golf analogy because i'm a golfer is practice it's, it's easy because it's not real. It's, it, uh, it's, it's slow. And when you practice real, then you could, you know, the real, the real baseball game, you know, anyone could be a good golf. Do you play golf chief? Yeah. Yeah. I so try. I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. Does anyone really play golf? We all try and attempt, but there, we're all, we all are all, I, I bet we all had days on the range where we were good range golfers, right? Oh, you, just we, about every time I every go day, to play. Yeah. You, I you, hit them perfect on the exactly. Range. You swear that you can go out and shoot a seventy-four because you you hit every drive straight and every hundred yard was within six feet from the pin. But you go out and play, and it's like you couldn't, you know, you couldn't have enough sleeve of balls in your bag. But the point is, is because practice is fake. Real, you can't replicate, but you need to find ways in replicating real. And it sounds yeah. like the smoke diver program does some of that. So that, that's does. awesome. Yeah, we got the three programs: Georgia, Indiana, Oklahoma, and there are oh, other smoke yeah. diver programs out there. Yeah. Um, they're just not affiliated with us. I and see some, some of them are two, three day programs. Some of them are a week. Yeah. Some of them are strictly scenario pass fail based. Um, mm -hmm. ours is a little more combo. There's a lot of training that goes on and then there's some scenario based things at the end, uh, yeah. that you have to get through. And it's about a 40 to 50% completion rate with mm. most people dropping on their own and like i said most of them are there's a few that aren't physically prepared because they sure. didn't really really realize how intense it was we lose it's about a 40 50 percent completion yep. rate and uh the majority of those leave because they're not mentally prepared even if they think it's because they're 
physically not prepared. Yeah. It's they talk themselves out of going it's, the next yeah. step. So their their brain said, I can't do any more push ups. Yeah. I can't so, do any more, yeah. you know, up and downs or yeah. whatever it is. Um, yeah. So wow. a lot of information on, on the web about it, www.georgiasmokediver.com. And then the, the Indiana and the Oklahoma program, those guys came to us and uh-huh. graduated from our program and then came back for years and helped teach and then then started their program. We don't just copy and paste the outlines. Yeah, here you go. Right. Their own program. Nobody can teach our program unless they've been through it yep. and been an intern. Help instructor. touch teach. It's there too dangerous. Too oh dangerous. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, don't want it to be watered down either. All right. Here we go. Leadership challenge here, Chief. Again, thank you, Chief Rick Lasky, publicly on the show for leading us into this amazing conversation with Chief David Rhodes today. But the leadership challenge allows us the opportunity to continue to expand the leadership conversation that we're having here uh, to grow stronger and more fire service leaders to better the future of the fire service and other industries to whomever listens to the show. So I would ask, Chief, is there someone out there that you would like to challenge uh, on this show to possibly and consider coming to be a, a guest here on the kitchen table. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge the uh, guy that I turned the smoke diver program over to. He's yeah. from a small department, so he has a totally different set of experience experiences, but he's involved in several different, um, training groups, um, and has like he, uh, he's even, even though he's a firefighter, he teaches people how to shoot and, and <laughs> there you go. tactical <laughs> response and, and all just a, a phenomenal guy is uh, Jason Casto with Chatsworth fire department. And, um, he might, he, he would be a good one to go in deep with the, uh, the whole smoke diver experience and, Absolutely. Uh, and, and he's the go-to, he's the go-to smoke daddy. Now he's smoke daddy number six. <laughs> smoke so, daddy number six. Wow. Yeah. I was five. He's six. So that's what go. I call him. Six. There you go. Six. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And this conversation can continue and I'll reach out to, um, Jason Casto. Is that what he says? Yep. Casto to see if he'd be willing to take up uh, chief David Rhodes on the leadership challenge today. So I have to say before we close, uh, chief lasting leadership thoughts, before we close on the kitchen table. And you got to care about your people. Care about your people. There you that's, go. Uh, that's first and foremost. And, and um, it's very cliche ish sounding, but what is, what is the old saying is like, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that doesn't have to be a sappy caring. You don't have to go in and uh, give people flowers and hugs and stuff every day, but you have to, you have to care for, for their well-being, for their career, and um, one of the ways you show that is you you are a door opener. Mm. Uh, Love that for yeah. them, and you 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 are a connector of opportunity. So uh, um, one of the things I'd like like to do when I got a new assignment, uh, especially in battalion chief, was talk to everybody in the battalion. And sometimes that was sixty something people. And be like, hey, what, where, where do you see yourself in two years? What do you, what do you want? Like, where do you want to work? What's your dream assignment in this organization? And it may not be in my battalion, you know, sure. it may be somewhere else. But I would write those things down. I had a playbook basically, 
that had their information in it because it's too much to remember. But I would, I, I would make it a point to look at that. And so let's say that this two year guy says that, you know, he wants to get passed up on the engine and, and make driver. Then any chances I could match him up, I would know that this station was doing pump training today and maybe his station wasn't and i may call his captain and say hey i know you know carlos wants to do he wants to learn how to pump um you guys don't have anything on the slate if i send you a guy can you send him over and let him fill in for a couple hours over there to train or if we didn't need to fill in you know another guy may want to get collapse rescue certified and he's not part of the special ops Hmm. thing but i see an opportunity come up i'm like hey did you see there's a collapse class coming up in such and such a county if you want to go. Um, so you, you need to know your need to know your people's wants and desires and try to match them up. And sometimes that's at your expense because like you may have a really good person in your right. battalion, but they really want to work at this truck company across town. Uh, I have to give them up yeah. for their and, own development. Why stop them from yes. what they want? Yeah. If the opportunity, cause aren't you, we just said, if you come up with your plan, you're going to be better. So why do I deny him the opportunity? Cause it's yeah. selfish of me yeah. to keep him. Sometimes yes. you can't do it, yeah. but I think every time you can say yes and provide an opportunity for somebody that goes along with your trust. And it also goes along with your character. Uh, love it. You're, you're looking out for their, their well being and what they want. And, yeah, I love that. And, uh, I guess last is uh, you want the people who are dedicated, who work hard, who have a good work ethic, who are competent and and want to to do the best for the organization. You want them to to enjoy working with you, and you want the ones that don't have that, that mm-hmm. aren't dedicated and all. You want them to be scared to death of you and not mm-hmm. want to work for you. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Because you're going to, as a leader, force uh, people out of their comfort zones, right? You're going to force growth upon others. You're going to help open doors for others. And some people aren't ready for that uh, being pulled out of their comfort zones, but that's what good leaders do. Yep. They, uh, they help people develop, but thank you for that metaphor. You were helping open doors for others. That's uh that's a key piece here. So uh, how do we find chief David Rhodes in the future? You got some, uh, some, some seminars for us. You got some articles we can look uh, into. Well, um, of course, every month the editorial comes out in fire engineering. If you're not subscribed to fire engineering, obviously, uh, that's, that's a publication you should be, be on top of. We, we try to publish pieces that are helpful, insightful education. Um, we're not so much about just publishing stories of, you know, so-and-so had a fire and Lieutenant so-and-so did this and Cap so-and-so did that. That's not us. We're, we're like, there was a situation. This is what happened. This is how we resolved it. And here's the lessons learned from it. Um, it's a lot of tactics. It's a lot of, uh, um, more in depth thought provoking, um, pieces that, that we, we, we do our best to get, you know, some of the brightest, brightest minds out there, um, to share their, their knowledge with the industry. So that's one, Mm -hmm. um, there's always content on fire engineering 
com um, that's separate from the magazine itself. Uh, some magazine content is on there, but um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pieces that are just web only. Yeah, um, yeah, pieces. It's true. Um, the books uh, can't say enough about reading. Whether you're getting getting books that are fire service related, which is what we publish. Yep. But, but name a, name a few of them. Name a, name a few yeah. of them for us here. Well, there's a couple there behind me there. Uh, we just did Frank Ritchie's Command Presence okay. um, podcast yesterday. Uh, Buddy Martinette just did Creating and Leading High Performance Teams. There you go. Um, and then uh, a book just came out, uh, Mastering the Craft. And it, it's probably one of my favorites uh, that we've yeah. done in a, in a while. That's just absolutely phenomenal short short read, but very much in line with some of the things we've talked Perfect. about today. And it's Perfect. from a firefighter perspective. So it's, uh, oh, mastering the craft of firefighter yeah. perspective. There you go. Love it. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hit here and there, uh, probably not on the road too much between Thanksgiving and in mm. December, but, uh, I, off the top of my head, I can't even think where I'm going to be. Yeah, your schedule probably will uh, remind you, but yes, I'm sure you're yeah, busy. Uh, we'll have we got smoke divers in November. I got a trip to New Jersey uh, right before that. Uh, I will be at the uh, I don't know when this airs, but I will be at the Georgia Florida game this weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. There you go. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, um, you know, uh, you can get me at david.rhodes, R H O D E S, at clarionevents.com. Um, I try to, I, you know, I get invited to come and either teach or speak at a lot of events and I try to do as many as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, but, uh, obviously I can't get to all the ones that I get, get yes. requests for. Of course. So, uh, of course. Try to balance yeah. that out and get to as much as I can. I think it's important for, for me to be out there and yeah. to, uh, and to meet as many folks. And I, and anytime I go on those, I'm always recruiting. Yeah. I am like the college coach. I'm out there yes, you are. a new author, a new yeah, yeah. instructor. Um, anybody wants to put in to teach for FDIC. Um, um, it's a great, great show that Mike Galliano, Mike Dugan did this on the fire engineering podcast that explains the whole backstory on how to get into the system. And yeah. again, it's about creating those opportunities. Some people, they, they don't even subscribe to fire engineering, don't know anything about it, never have read anything. They're going to put in to teach a class at FDIC. Mm -hmm. We don't know who they are. Yeah. They've never written an article, whatever, and maybe a great class, but somebody else that's written four or five articles on that subject for us has taught a class for us. They put in to yep. teach the same thing. Obviously, preference is going yeah. to the people who are contributing to yeah. the to the system and, and the thing. So, uh, um, if you're interested in that, or if you've not been picked and you wondered why that's a great podcast to listen to, we get yes. on, on basically, I mean, we're opening the door on, this is how the system works. Yes. There you go. There you go for everybody. So if anybody, uh, wants to contribute to fire engineering, um, they can email me if they have an article or if they want to discuss an article. Um, and, and remember we're looking for technical and tactical pieces we're not looking for opinion pieces a lot of people send us stuff that's just sure. a story of yeah you know and, and we don't we don't really publish um opinion opinion pieces and in the words of bobby halton is i'm the editor and i get to write the opinion piece <laughs> <laughs> there you go there's the power uh, right there yes. we may we may run it as a letter to the editor or something like that but there's a lot of people that 
that talk and and sort of ambiguous like they're they're kind of giving their their take on yeah uh something but if you yeah. stick like take something like search and you don't have to cover search from from the beginning to the end but take a piece of search you know yeah. like I, I wrote that search size up article mm -hmm. so you could do um you know when is a wall search appropriate just do one article on that when is it not appropriate uh when is VES appropriate? When is it not, you know, take something that's very simple and then expand on that. And, mm. and, and interesting 2,500, 3000 words, you know, with some pictures and, and we're getting into, you know, we're deep in the digital age. So one of the things that we're asking for too is video, video content, you know, you're doing yeah. some training drill at your station and you, and you got a video of it. You kind of halfway decent with the, with the iPhone, iMovie software, or whatever it is that you you use, and you're creating some content, send it to us. We'll take a look at it. We may use it. Yeah. Know. All right. I'm gonna write you an article here, Chief. And uh, sounds good. And uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be in the months to come. I like to write. And uh, now now you're already my brain's already spinning, but you'll see an article from me. Okay. Before we close, well, the the percentages that we will see uh, the Bulldogs versus the Washington Huskies in uh, in a playoff. I won't go as far as to say the national championship game. But the uh, I'm calling it now Pac-12 champs. I hope not after this last performance against Arizona Sun Devils. No offensive touchdowns against a one of five team at home. I don't know how that happened. But Georgia Bulldogs and Huskies. Uh, how about a percentage? Throw something out there that we uh, see a game in the playoff. Gosh, the the system's so complicated. Well, it is. But I think one in four, right? I mean, Huskies. I don't think we can bid a number two or three spot, but we could easily see a Georgia in a, in a one. But yep. I'm hoping a Georgia versus Huskies, right? What's um, the record? What's the record now? Well, uh, so they're they're undefeated and they're okay. number they're number five in the country unless it changed. Well, they probably dropped to six or seven since that performance last week. I don't know what happened, but but we you know we had we had a uh, the Crimson Tide and the Huskies in the first year of the playoff. Mm -hmm. We saw that obviously for those in memory are, are rolling their eyes right now listening to this piece because uh, Huskies got trampled on that year. But uh, I would like to see the, the Bulldogs. It always happens when these teams come and play the SEC. I know. It is true. We saw TCU <laughs> last year. We did. I would have loved to have seen Michigan instead. But, again, people are saying that would have been worse. But I don't know. Can we say a 25% chance, if not greater, for the Huskies? I'll say, uh, yeah, I, I can go with 25 to 30, 30% okay. chance. I like it. Um, I love it. I love we, it. we lost, we lost uh, Brock Bowers uh, yes. last week. So yeah, uh, that's number right. One, number one player in college, uh, tight end. But uh, oh, uh, we we, right. we got we got we're tight end deep. Systems um, in place. The next the one systems in place, yes. and you know that's the thing is not all of the wins are pretty, but uh, yes, a win you know, to win. Trust the process, and like you said, you know, I don't think I don't think Kirby and the team are they don't care if they win by one point or yep. by thirty points as long as they win. As long as they win, it's about the next play in the next game. Uh, yep. They're not worried about the championship now. They're worried about Florida, yes. and and they'll wor be worried about the next team. And that's a good philosophy to have. Is just yep. that's how you chug along. And yep, um, the schedule definitely uh, is is in their favor. Yes. Um, as long the injuries have been horrendous this year, I think they've had between six and eight starters out pretty much yeah. the whole year. Oof. But uh. Luckily, yeah. uh, they got a couple of folks back, and actually, uh, Jason uh, Casto, who's a leadership challenge, his uh, his cousin is uh, Lad McConkey, who's one of our best uh, receivers. Uh -huh. He's been out all year, and so he's back. Uh, 
There I don't go. know if he's a hundred percent, but he's, he's been back. Um, so Love yeah, it. we're, we're pretty deep next, yeah. next, next man up. So yep. we'll see, exactly. see what happens, but uh, step up. we got Missouri who's got a mm-hmm. pretty good run going. We've got Tennessee at Tennessee. Oh uh, yeah. They've kind of been, yeah, they've been yeah. up and down. Yeah. Um, and then we got Mississippi state. State. Uh, okay. And they don't, months, so. and they don't have Alabama this season because it's no. every other year. Okay. Right. There and we go. were supposed to play Oklahoma uh, this year, but because they're coming into the SEC, they, uh, that's right. they canceled that game. Canceled the NCAA canceled that. Uh, all right. So everybody that says it's a weak schedule, uh, you know, you look at everybody's schedule. I mean, you still got to take care of what they are. It's the luck exactly. of the draw. And, it is. And you um, take care of what's in front of you. It's, it's all you can do. It is. And this setup, I mean, you know, and the thing is, is, uh, uh, We've seen Vanderbilt come into Georgia and win every now, you know, every yeah. now and then, and you, you don't yeah. expect it, but it's like it's a game. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It totally is, right? I mean, and you've seen it. You've seen Georgia and Alabama will say duke it out against each other, but then you'll you'll see, or or you'll see like a Georgia or, or even Alabama will uh, take care of a a twelfth ranked team and win by thirty, but then you know go head to head on an unranked team to the wire. It's like how does that work? I always say anytime I'm watching Alabama and everybody's all excited because they're getting beat. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, they're down two touchdowns and there's 45 seconds left. Yes. Don't ever count them out. Exactly. Right. I mean, if you're going to put your money somewhere, you <laughs> know, be, be careful. Buzzer. Exactly. So that's key. It's great. I, I, I tell you, that's uh, you were, you, we mentioned, we didn't get into it. We talk about hobbies and stuff. And yeah. uh, since I've moved out to this area, I'm only, like I said, uh, about 12 miles from the stadium for Athens. And, uh, oh, um, exciting. I guess that's probably that golf, golf when I can, uh, and, uh, in college football is like, that's sort of my, uh, that's only, that's really my only two interests outside of the fire service. I was going to say golf and college football. I don't know. And what- I'm definitely not a sports analysis. Like I can't tell you all the players and all that yeah. stuff, but it's just fun. And, uh, um, kind of back to the whole leadership thing is a, a friend of mine that I go with Russell Sykes, uh, is he's a season ticket holder. Wife's a graduate attorney, yeah. attorney. And so I've been going to the games with him now for probably 10, 10 plus years. And, uh, that before my daughter was there, of course now it's special cause she, she's there, but, uh, this is back in the Mark Rick days and, and we tailgate, like we're serious, like oh, we're, nice. we're tailgating, we're there at six, six thirty no matter what time the game is and like seven o'clock's when you're allowed to set up. So we, if, if it's an eight o'clock game, we're there at seven in the morning, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. And, uh, um, this is back in the Mark Rick days and we had, God, we'd been beat by somebody. I think it may have been South Carolina or something, but we're walking back. It's about 20, 30 minute walk back to the car, to the tailgate area. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, man, I can't believe it. I can't believe that we lost that game, blah, 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 blah. And here he is. He's been going season ticket holder for 25 years. And all. He <laughs> goes, and he's younger than me. He's like, no, 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 no. He goes, we won. He goes, the, the team lost, but we yeah. won. And I'm like, Why, what, what are you talking about? He goes, man, we got here at 7 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I love it. We had three good meals. We drank some beers. Oh. We watched the game. He goes, now we're walking back to our cars. We're going to go back to work, fight some fire, we whatever. Won. He goes, we're winning at life. 
Oh, I love that. That's such a, I love that perspective. <laughs> it, kind that of flipped, is a, it kind of flipped my mentality. Yes. It's kind of like I have, in, you know, college fans, it's like we have absolutely zero control other than being loud and making somebody yeah. jump off sides. But yeah. like, we're not recruiting, we're not coaching. And everybody says, we won, That's, we lost. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, we, we it's not we, it's, it's them. You're just a fan. You just, oh, I and love it's that it's important because it it's part of the whole system. But, uh, but yeah, you got, you don't have control and it's yeah. a good life's thing. I mean, you hear people screaming and yeah, hear mad. people, hear people saying, you know, why are you running the ball? And they don't yeah. know anything about yep. football. Another thing that frustrates me is the people that don't sit down and watch the game. They're always yeah. walking in front of me where I can't see. Yeah. Them. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> a great, I, I think it's a good, you know, uh, some people go hiking, some people, you know, they say part of your stress relief is nature, but uh, I yeah. think, I think college football is one of those activities that it's a good agree. time. It's, it's a, it's almost a religion down here. Oh, I bet. You, uh, oh, I but, went. So yeah, I was in new Orleans, uh, so six, seven years ago. And uh, LSU, it must have been uh, Alabama oh, bringing LSU state. to town. Oh, and they, I didn't go to the game, uh, but Seahawks actually that weekend went down to New Orleans, and that's what part of us were down there for. Uh, but anyways, uh, it, it, there was the big LSU game happening, and it, it was just crazy, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're in Seattle town here, tailgate. You know, I know that kind of that how that environment is, and nothing compared to the bars and everything that's happening down there in Louisiana and in the South. I mean, that's just a completely different environment yeah uh, but it was exciting everybody, everybody's friends during the tailgates it's, exactly it's cool, like strangers or not strangers and yeah it's just a yeah. fun day fun yeah. day to hang out with everybody yeah, yeah. well chief I'll, I'll 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 close here and we'll just uh, do a little uh, segment on the side here thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table we truly hope that you found this time valuable and we hope that we've inspired you to take action to lead and to spread the leadership conversation until next time be safe be intentional and stay curious.